Hello and welcome to episode 88 of the Film Yak Podcast. I'm John. I'm Kevin. I'm JR. And uh, today we're here to talk uh, my pick, which is uh, a movie, a, a little scene movie called Blueberry Overseas, uh, renamed Renegade in North America and directed by, I'm deciding to pronounce his name, his name Jan Kunin. I don't know how you say it, but uh, Jan Kunin sounds, great. sounds good mm. to me. Uh, it's a it's a French made western, uh, starring Vincent Cassell and Michael Madsen and Juliette Lewis, among others. And uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk some trailers that have dropped recently. Trailers are starting to trickle in with more frequency now that it's in, entering into the fall season, um, and the theaters are reopening slowly. And uh, we're also going to uh, talk lots of other stuff we watched. Well, not Jared, because he watched like four things. But the rest of us are going to talk lots of stuff we watched. Oh, oh, have the tables turned. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, how's how are you guys doing? Doing good. Doing, you know, I'm doing. Mm, it's just, been... Just doing. You know, if you ever see that I'm not watching movies, there's, you know, just shit's going on. Mm. Were you, you work this week, JR? Yeah, this is my second week back at work, and uh, my in-laws were at my house all last week, and they're just kind of exhausting, and work has been kind of exhausting. It's just been a, it's been a whole mess. Mm. Are you guys uh, at like half capacity or anything like that at the school? We got a, we got two cohorts, A and B cohort. Kind of, I think it's like you, right? Yeah, we have A and B. Um, yeah, so I've got you know ten to fifteen kids in a class at a time. Ours are A and B, and then we also have full virtual classes. So I have six classes a day this year, and uh, the fourth and the sixth class are completely virtual. I never see them in person, so we Zoom every day. Wow. Yeah, and it's, Crazy. it sucks so far, actually. I mean, it's like it's, it's like, it's not that it sucks. It's like it would be preferable if I didn't have to worry about them actually passing and learning stuff. You know, <laughs> but it's like, I, you know, I'm now I'm worried about like, I'm going to end up having to fail a bunch of them because they're not going to turn their work in because they don't know what the fuck is going on. So it's just mm-hmm. like, it's just a big mess right now. And I'm assuming that we're going to have an outbreak any day now and uh shut down shop. And then they're already talking about next week. It's supposed to rain a lot. So they're like, we might be teaching from home next week. We'll let you know. <laughs> yeah. Cause, yeah. Cause we got two hurricanes. I know. Right. It's like, give me well, a two break, man. T- tropical depressions, but jeez, I mean, they could be hurricanes. Gotta, um... Yeah, we get. I, yeah, I don't. I don't have any like full Zoom classes. Monday, I ha- I have to do like Zoom conferences. Mm. That's a uh, that's like our Monday thing. But I don't know. Mine, so mine sounds like a little better than yours. However, it is just. It seems very clear to me that we are not going to stay in school for very long. Like I don't. It, it sounds like our superintendent just kind of caved to the demands of our community. To uh, for us to like get set up in person, like get the online shit set up in person. <laughs> um, like I don't know, we we already have like ten cases in our district, and it's only going to get worse. Yeah, it's. So, uh, I think we're, we're going to be at home soon. Yeah, it's a big mess, man. But uh, hopefully, eventually, things will get back to normal. We'll just have to wait and see. Mm. So let's jump into these trailers. Uh, lots of new trailers to talk about. Starting with Kevin's favorite, Ratchet, the new uh, Netflix original series. It is a series, right? Is it? Or is it a movie? I thought it was a series. I don't know. Uh, I think it's a series. Mm. 
Yeah, by Ryan Murphy, starring his favorite actress of all time, Sarah Paulson, mm. as Nurse Ratchet. And uh, you know, I I I don't get it, but I mean, about my biggest thing was that you know, like the minute I saw this, and it's like it's a prequel. And uh, mm. it's starring Sarah Paulson as a younger Nurse Ratchet, but Sarah Paulson is older than Louise Fletcher when she played Nurse Ratchet. Mm. It's just a weird <laughs> thing uh, to think about. So yeah, not to mention that you know, in this day and age, like when when I when I read uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, it was right around the time Standing Rock. Like there was the like, it was starting to get a lot more attention because they had you know the protests and everything. And a big part of the book is, I mean, it's told from the chief's perspective. And a lot of it is about how the Native Native Americans in Oregon were, like, pushed off their land or turned into alcoholics or, you know, like, like he says in the movie, they just worked on him. And I feel like if you're going to do a prequel, like, why not give that a little attention as opposed to this random, you know, and they say in the trailer, like, iconic characters. Like, if you went out on the street and asked people who Nurse Ratchet is, how many people do you think would know who it is? Um, Yeah, I mean, that's fair now. I think, I think, I mean, the character is definitely uh, popular. And I mean, they mm. reference her in like, you'll watch other movies or TV shows where they ret- reference nurse ratchet. I mean, it's yeah. like a, it's like a, it's part of the lexicon to an extent, I guess. But I mean, mm. I agree. Like, I mean, most people don't know what the fuck this is now, but I mean, I'm mm. sure a lot of, most of the people who watch this trailer and who plan to watch this show don't understand that this is a, uh, you know, yeah, a character that's from a, a book or a film, but mm. I don't know. Beyond that, it just looks like, yeah. I don't know. It just looks like the same kind of yeah Netflix period garbage that they just keep churning. I'm just not interested in this kind of thing anymore. I can't do it. I just can't do it. Yeah. And Ryan Murphy sucks. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of his either. So JR loves this stuff. What JR? Tell us how, how great this is. How great Ryan Murphy is! <laughs> yeah, no, I, I won't, I won't watch this. I have no interest in watching this, and I don't. Yeah, R- Ryan Murphy's TV shows do uh, do nothing for me when I've seen them, and mm. you guys know I don't see a ton of TV. But. Right? Yeah, yeah. Mm. So uh, that leads us to uh, Netflix does really bad with this, but then they do really good by funding Charlie uh, Kaufman's film or Mm. buying it or I don't know how it came to be on Netflix but anyways Mm. it's on Netflix I'm thinking of ending things the new film by Charlie Kaufman uh, based on a novel by Ian Reed or Ian Reed I don't know how you say the guy's name but uh yeah it's Ian Ian Mm. yeah so uh I mean I for you know I think it looks pretty good yeah I like Kaufman I like what he's directed I really like Anomalisa a lot so I'm pretty uh, psyched to see anything this guy does. Yeah. There's there's clearly some interesting uh, time stuff happening, and I think mm. Kaufman has proven he can do interesting and emotionally effective things with time. So I'm, sure. I'm definitely in. Yeah, and whoever this actress is, she seems uh, up to the challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I'm a little worried about Tony Collette. She seems a little over the top. 
Who plays the uh, her her husband? In David the, Thewlis. That's right. Yeah, that yeah. looks. That's interesting, though. I and like that. Who he's I in was it. like, oh, he's yeah. still doing stuff. I love David Thewlis. He, yeah, he's great. <laughs> So. He was in another trailer posted on the blog recently. Adam, the Adam uh, McGoyan Adam film. McGoyan trailer. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. 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 Uh, I, I actually, I don't know if I ever actually watched that trailer all the way through with the sound on, but, <laughs> but yeah, that that was it, one I mean, that I posted. It's not offensive. It, it was boring. Yeah, it looked boring. Yeah, Adam McGoyan is is boring though. I mean, oh, these yeah. days, anyways. I mean, even like his thrillers now. that he did the last couple, like uh, Captured, and um, there was another one. I can't remember, but they were they were really just man. I don't know. They don't work <laughs> at all for me. I don't. I don't think I've seen one since Chloe, which also didn't work. Yeah, mm, so I think that was also that was more than a decade ago. Oh, <laughs> um, so let's talk. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know how much. Are you guys interested in The Devil All the Time? This is another Netflix movie starring Tom Holland and uh, what's his face? Our Pats, Robert Pattinson. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested. I, I don't know to the extent. How many things have I seen Tom Holland in? Probably like two. Spider-Man and, and uh, Far From Home. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, I haven't seen any of his uh, Spider-Man movies. Oh, I've, my. I've seen like the... the <laughs> what has he been in? Well, the the two Avengers movies that he was oh, in. Oh, and the, uh, Captain America. Of course, yeah. I mean, he's he's fine. Uh, the the author of this book, I actually read the first chapter or two of this book a while ago, mm. and I put it down because it was just so aggressively violent for no reason, and I mm. was just like not interested. And it felt like very much aping Cormac McCarthy, which I said in mm. my uh, write up of it. Mm. Uh, that's the book, anyways. And this this movie looks like a sort of a, like a low i mean it's not low budget but it's like mid to low budget you know what i mean mm. like shot digitally looks kind of nasty televisual and uh it just feels like uh like i also wrote child of god it feels like james franco's film version of child of god which mm. looked horrible like the like he shot it on these cheap ass cameras and everything mm. and, um it wasn't a terrible film exactly but it just like just wasn't up to snuff for what a McCarthy thing should be. And this is like right. a I, pale comparison to, to a McCarthy. I will say this, that um, Antonio Campos, the director. I love made, Campos. Yeah. He is, he has made ugly, cheap visuals work very well for him in the mm. past. It's, and I, in this what? movie does not look like what he's done in the past. But what, 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 which uh, film are you talking about? Well, I mean, just like after school is, Okay, a so very low budget for me. Not I ugly, but like Simon Killer that. can be very ugly, and Christine is purposefully using a lot of like low quality. I thought Christine looked stuff. good though. I thought Christine actually looked like more like a almost like a David Fincher kind of knockoff than anything. Mm. I, I Christine, I was a huge fan of Christine, and I I really liked his. Uh, he did a television program called. Uh, oh fuck! If I can't remember the name of it now, god damn it! Mm. <laughs> I'm just thinking about it. It's on Netflix. I don't know. It's, it was on USA originally, the USA Network, and it oh. had um, that actress in it from the Texas Chainsaw <laughs> films. What? The actress from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, the the remake. Jessica Biel? Yes, she's in it. Oh. <laughs> she was in the television show that he directed, which was called, hang on, wait for it, wait for it, The Sinner. Patiently. Oh, The Sinner. Okay. I didn't know. I didn't know he did the center. He did, and actually, the center is probably his best looking thing that he's made. It, mm. It's really shot well. It looks amazing, and Bill Pullman is in it as this 
detective who's just down and out but in the weirdest way like he's not your typical like drunk detective he's got like these weird sexual fetishes mm. it's pretty interesting and um i think the show is all right it's got i think it's mm. on a two or three two or second or third season now but he's not i don't know that he's involved in it anymore but um mm. but yeah the first season of the sinner is is okay and yeah so, so. I, I will say for the devil all the time i think if if this is like a Netflix gave Antonio Campos money to do what he wanted to do, yeah, I I'll be interested. I don't think it's that. Uh, if it is, yeah, if it's just <laughs> like we had this thing that we were funding and we hired Antonio Campos, not not interested. I don't even think it's that either. I think Plus, it's I think it's somebody put the movie together, they shot it, and all the festivals got canceled, and now there's no one to buy it, so Netflix bought it. That's what it feels like to me. It was supposed to be released wide, maybe. Mm. And uh, it just ended up on Netflix. That's what it seems like with most Netflix stuff is that they don't really have anything to do with it. They just buy it. Anyways, let's move on to... uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. You have something to say? No, especially now. Yeah, exactly. Um, On the Rocks, this is the new uh, Sofia Coppola film, her first film since The Beguiled, which was several years ago now, I think. Oh, yeah. So what do you guys think of On the Rocks? Once again, starring Bill Murray, Mm. reteaming, and Rashida Jones. Now, to me... Is it just me or does Rashida Jones seem like a little low rent for this movie? Like I like Rashida Jones, okay, mm. but she's just like she's such a television actress to me. I don't think of her as like a feature film actress, and I uh, I, I know that she's been in feature films yeah. and in big roles before, but like this, like just as a Sofia Coppola film with Bill Murray, it just feels like very like almost prestigious in a sort of sort of way, and she just seems like a little like I don't know, like she's a sitcom actress or something <laughs> i don't know well i mean uh, i know like she had a hand in. Hmm? you guys are talking over each other <laughs> jr what do you got oh i i just don't i don't know if i agree and but i do know that they've they've had like a working relationship for a while have uh, they Sophie and yeah i didn't know that uh rashid hmm. jones co-wrote like uh like that stupid christmas special oh um, see i didn't know that that sophia did so oh. I, I think they. I know she's a. I know she's a big writer. Like she. Each other and stuff. She wrote a first draft for um, or she wrote one of the drafts for Toy Story Four. I remember reading. Yeah, and uh, I know she had a hand in writing uh, a Black Mirror episode. Sure. Which... I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not disparaging her at all. I'm just. It's just. It just. It's weird to see them in the same. I. I, it, I, it's I really, definitely. See, I definitely know what you mean. Like it's like if she was in Rock the Casbah. With Bill Murray, I'd be like that. That makes sense. Mm. But the fact that she's in this a Sofia Coppola film, is, I mean, the fact that you, when you say that she wrote stuff for Sofia, that makes sense. But uh, I don't know, just the image of them, and then knowing that this is a Sofia Coppola film, and just thinking, I guess mm. also there's that kind of unintentional uh, back of your head thing where you're looking at Bill Murray, and she, he's in a Sofia Coppola film, mm-hmm. and uh, playing an older man, and there's a younger woman. Obviously, they're they're father and daughter in this one but it's like you you're, you're automatically drawn back to lost in translation mm. and you're thinking scarlett johansson's a much bigger uh star name whatever than rashida jones even though she wasn't yeah. really at the time i guess but yeah what did you guys think of on the rocks you guys psyched i honestly i could take it or leave no. it like uh yeah like, last couple of times i watched uh sofia coppola movies like I, I there's anything bad about them necessarily, but nothing that excited me either. So I, I'm kind of yeah. This looks like I'm kind of whatever. It looks like uh, like low tier Noah Baumbach to me. Like it doesn't look <laughs> it doesn't look like bad or anything. It's just kind of like 
whatever, you know. Yeah. It just and looks I, like I, overly very, comedic, maybe. And yeah, I've been very miss on Baumbach. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I need to watch from him, and I need to watch Squid and the Whale again. But I love Baumbach. But anyway, I'll definitely, I'll definitely see it. Yeah, I'll watch it. In the trailer made me mm. excited. It's on. Uh, yeah. It's going to be on Apple TV Plus, so I'll definitely watch it. It's oh, okay. free for me to oh. watch. Maybe I won't watch it. <laughs> what was that? Oh, Boy State. Boy uh, State yeah, is on yeah. there, too. I'm going to have to watch that. Because actually, the guys on Film Junk gave that a 5 out of 5. Oh, wow. So. Well, okay, I guess, uh, you know, I guess John's suggestion isn't enough. <laughs> the suggestion isn't enough. <laughs> it's only interesting at the Film Junk guys. You didn't like it. suggest it, okay? You said, are you going to watch it? <laughs> That's what you said. And I didn't even know what it was you until Film Junk reviewed it, so... <laughs> That's a good point. All right. So the last trailer here is Let Him Go. It's the new, uh, the film that reteams, uh, what, I was going to say their names. What? what? Kevin Costner. <laughs> no, 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 not those names. The names they played in Man of Steel, the Kent, oh. the Kent family. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Mar- Martha and. Martha and John? Jonathan Kent? Jonathan Kent. Yeah, yeah. Martha and Jonathan Kent. Okay. <laughs> reunites them for the first time. Oh yeah, <laughs> Mar- Martha and Kevin. Kevin Kent. I think it's Kevin. Kevin Kent. Uh, yeah. So this is a uh, a film uh, about a, an older couple who goes to rescue their grandson from the clutches of an evil new family that he's mm. part of. But I don't really think that that synopsis does it justice. I think it looks a lot better than that. And mm. uh, I don't know. I'm 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 kind of excited to see it. To be honest. Right. Looks like I, I wrote in the review. It looks a little bit more. It looks more like McCarthy than Devil All the Time does to mm. me. It's like this interesting. It's an interesting uh, plot, you know. This idea of them going to rescue this kid. I like it, yeah. and I I think Kevin Costner. It's fucking weird. It's fucking weird. <laughs> What's it's weird? What crazy ass plot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. It's but but, but I like that. I mean, I, and I think it's it looks like it's going to be told with some semblance of. Uh, reality you know kind of a realistic mm. way so i'm uh i don't know i'm mildly excited tentatively so this is kind of the the opposite of the devil all the time for me in the sense that the trailer looked pretty good but then i saw who directed it and i was mm-hmm. like is this gonna be good who is that guy is i mean he directed like the family stone 15 years ago oh my and uh like a selena gomez vehicle Jesus Christ. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pop star? Yeah. Gomez. We know who Selena uh, Gomez is. And, and he... She was hey, in, she, she she's like an actress. She, she was in Spring Breakers. She was in Breakers. Dead Don't you know? Die. She was in Spring Breakers. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, like, sh- yes, she does exist. I, I understand this, but... Great actress. No, yeah, there, there's nothing that he's done that is inspiring <laughs> at all. And maybe maybe he's just been waiting for his moment, you know, to... Maybe. Um, maybe. To get out of the rom-com game. James Cameron's first film was Piranha 2, so... Mm. You know what? And what was his second film? A Terminator. And how many years after Piranha 2 was that? I think it was like six years. I think Piranha 2 was in 78 or 79. Mm. So so this is going to be this guy's fourth film <laughs> and 15 years after his first film? Well, you know what? Maybe well, he's... Well, you know, contracts and... <laughs> I don't know, man. What do you want me to say here? Okay. There are movies directed by bad directors that are good movies. One eight seven. One eight seven is a real good movie. You would never know if that was the guy who directed Waterworld. I like Kevin Reynolds though. He's a good director. Don't fuck with Kevin Reynolds. 
But do you like Waterworld? I do like Waterworld, but not okay. not. I mean, I like Waterworld in the way that in the way that Jordan likes. Uh, oh right, Demolition okay. Man. You know, it's okay. fun. It's stupid fun, or whatever he says on his show. Uh, you know, I I'm not I'm not going to argue that Waterworld's a great film. It's very ambitious. Okay. I can, I could argue its merits, but I mean, it's not a it's not a great film. Okay. But Kevin Reynolds, ha- Kevin Reynolds is a good example because he has directed a lot of kind of like big budget kind of uh, mm. uh, blockbuster garbage. And I don't know about one eight seven. I've seen it, but it's. Been I, all time. I remember thinking it was fantastic. When I would I, point when I saw to it, but I was uh, a teenager. I would point to, count, point to the Count of Monte Cristo as his oh, as his okay. mag- masterpiece. Okay, <laughs> uh, okay, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's watch that next week. That'll be fun. Hey, do it, man! It's your your pick, bud. Yeah, it's your pick. <laughs> anyway. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> oh really? He didn't have anything prepared. Oh my god! <laughs> that is embarrassing. Let's start looking at that list. Mm. All right. Well. uh... Let's get started with uh, what we watched. Who wants to begin? I think you should begin. Okay. I have watched the most stuff, I think, (laughs) by far. And I I really did not expect that to happen because (laughs) after the last episode, I waited like, I think like four days to watch anything. And then I Mm. ended up watching uh, a bunch of short animated stuff on Criterion just to Ah. kind of juice my list a little bit. Oh, right. right. But then it took us so long (laughs) to record that I ended up watching a ton of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I watched the first thing I'll talk about is, uh, showgirls Watched showgirls downloaded it. Cause I want to watch the, you, you don't know me documentary mm. at some point. I saw uh, the trailer me too. for that. Yeah. Me too. That looks I, fun. I saw the trailer for it and I was like, ah, I checked that out and I've never seen the film. So I should watch showgirls. So I downloaded it and, uh, you know, I'll tell you what, when you go into it with the idea of, what it is like if I had watched this in 1995, I mean, obviously, in 1995, I'd probably been really excited because there's a lot of tits in it and stuff, you know. But like, <laughs> but if I had watched this maybe 10 years ago, I would have probably, you know, shit on it and been like, it's just a shit movie, it's just not good, you know. And uh, but going into it, understanding the kind of like what who Paul Verhoeven is as, as a director. And the kind of self-aware attitude that he has to have had directing Elizabeth Berkley to act the way she acts in this movie. I mean, she is ridiculous in this movie. And and it's it's weird because it's uh she's like aggressively unlikable. Like you nothing she does is charming or interesting. Like she's just a bad person. She just mm. does horrible things, she makes terrible decisions, and she's really rude and angry and nasty all the time. And uh it's weird that she's the focal point of the film and I'm not a hundred percent sure what Verhoeven's trying to say by making her the focal point of the film. I mean, maybe it's just, you know, uh, Esther house's script is, is that's what it is. But as far as the filmmaking goes, I mean, Verhoeven in top form directing wise, I mean, he's, it looks great. It, uh, everything is like shot super tight and interestingly. And even like the sex scenes and stuff in it that are, completely absurd uh they don't they don't play like you'd think they'd play like softcore pornography or something you know because even though the movie's nc-17 i mean if it was made now it'd be an r like mm-hmm. there's no way we get an nc-17 and uh i mean it's just like there's like a little bit of full frontal nudity but there's there's more full frontal the, like the, the nudity that's in blueberry which we'll talk about is more extreme like way more extreme hmm. at the end the very last you don't remember this We'll get to that. Oh my, that's burned in my retina, bud. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, 
yeah, Showgirls. I mean, it was uh, it was a fun watch, and I honestly I gave it a three. I think it would go up on a rewatch if anything. Mm-hmm. I loved Kyle MacLachlan on it. He <laughs> was a blast, and I love the scene. You know, I I've seen I've seen the scene where he fucks her in the pool. Uh-huh. I'd seen that before somewhere, maybe on YouTube or mm. Pornhub or something, and <laughs> and he's fucking her in the pool, and she's acting, she's like wilding out, like acting <clears throat> ridiculous, like flailing around and shit. And I was like, that's just so ridiculous. But when you watch the film, it makes sense. She's fucking him the same way that she did the lap dance to him earlier. She was doing the same moves while she was doing the lap dance. Uh-oh. So it's like a callback to that, you know. And I was like, that <laughs> makes sense actually. I mean, it's it's still kind of silly, but it's like. At least there's context. At least it's not just like a complete out of the blue absurdity, you know. Mm. So yeah, Showgirls, check it out, guys. Give it a shot. You know, it's not a bad movie. Okay, I have. I really like it. <laughs> that's fine. That's good. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. I don't really like it. I like it though. Yeah, this is a. Uh... This will start with uh with the best movie I watched, which was definitely uh, an inconvenient truth. I finally, I finally was like, you know what now. I believe in climate change. I'm going to go back, watch some of the uh, documentaries I missed from 15 years ago. Um, you going to make I time realize, for, You going to make time for Leo's version? The 11th hour with Leo? Like, yeah, yeah, dude. <laughs> no, I, probably, probably not. Uh, I just, I don't. I you know I remember when this movie came out, and I remember it was like a popular documentary, and it was like a political deal. Mm. Uh, I don't remember anybody ever saying that it's just a, a TED talk. <laughs> it's it's a 100 minute TED talk with Al Gore giving a presentation that is mildly engaging. Um, and then when it's not a TED talk, it's an infomercial for Al Gore. And I don't, you know, this is 2005. I don't remember what he's like running for, if anything. I don't think he's running. No, for he's anything. done. At that it's point. just kind of. Mm just kind of like a good good for you Al Gore uh, kind of thing um, so An Inconvenient Truth is uh, just 100% useless movie now I, you know if anything in there was ever not you know sort of like I don't want to say common knowledge but it's it's just like basic climate change stuff um, and maybe I didn't know all that stuff in 2006 I definitely do now I don't know why I watch this don't, don't watch it I'm glad you said that because uh I mean, this is something I could have found myself jumping into if it was like on Prime or something late at night, one night, you know. So I'm really glad you're telling me it's a big TED Talk because that's not something I'm interested in looking at at all. (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. All right, Kev. So on on your recommendation, and because of just watching Lord of Illusions, I watched Nightbreed. Oh, yeah. And I actually, I enjoyed it very, very much. Mm -hmm. But there was a lot of stuff in it that was just really, like, stupid and just just fucking ridiculous. Again, with the, you know what we were talking about before we started recording with the emo thing? Yeah. This Cronenberg's killer in that is that, right? He's that imagery. Yes. Right? This ridiculous mask he wears with the button eyes. Yeah. And it's like, Cronenberg, like, I mean, Cronenberg... I'll you know I won't take anything away from him as a director, of course. as an actor. He's awful. No, nah. yeah, he, he was he atrocious, was atrocious. And the guy who plays the uh, sheriff yeah. outside of the town that uh, that's outside of Midian. Yeah. Oh my god! 
like fucking awful. <laughs> I do like the scene when they're arming themselves though, and it keeps mm. cutting to the guy in the armory, and he's like, he's like almost making love to the weapons and stuff. Oh yeah, like, oh, that, that yeah. was really, that was really entertaining. <laughs> That's good stuff. But um, weapon sex. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but like I like this. This would have been so much better as a TV series. Yeah, I, I could see that. Yeah, because then like it would have been able to like expand on that mythology of Midian sure. and the monsters, and it does seem a little all that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, congested almost yeah like mm, it like it sure. needs to be broadened out and explained a little bit yeah like i would i would love to see like i mean he hasn't directed anything since lord of illusions but i would love to see clive barker get his get into something to do with tv like whether it's hbo or netflix or somebody if he is in charge of something and like a th- wait correction I think somebody somewhere is working on a Hellraiser series. I'll have to check on that. I believe it. But yeah, like if he, uh, if he is actually involved and like has the time and the money, I think he could put out something that is really cuz like that's the thing about Nightbreed, like it's so much closer to like the overall aesthetic of his books. You know, there's horror, there's laughs, there's sex, there's you know anything you can think of mm-hmm. in a Clive Barker book, like you know Hellraiser just happened to be the one that caught on, um, but it's like a really small part of like a lot of the other stuff that he's done. So like Nightbreed is very much more Clive Barker. So I would love to see more of that. I think Nightbreed has uh, had a little bit of a resurgence lately. I think it's a, it's definitely mm. got like a cult following, and they released it. Yeah, you know, they did right. that nice uh, Shout Factory Blu-ray of it and everything. Mm. So I think her Scream Factory Blu-ray of it. So I think it's a um, you know got a little bit of a yeah uh, a fan base and uh, maybe something to build on on a TV network possibly. Yeah. All right, I. Uh, I watched uh, Fear and Desire for the first time, which is a uh, mm. uh, Kubrick's first film or his first feature-length film. Right, right. He'd done short films or short documentaries or something before this. Yeah, but uh, I'd never seen this before, and it, uh, I, the the only real reason I watched it was because because um, there's actually a few Kubricks I've never seen, and I I don't know what it is. I just can't get around to seeing them. I've never seen Lolita. I've never seen Spartacus. Mm. Uh this I'd never seen this. Uh, I think that might be it, actually. But, but, um, but yeah, this was only sixty-two minutes or something, and it was on Prime, so I was like, oh, I gotta watch that. So mm. I did, and uh, I'll tell you, I read the reviews on Letterbox, and everybody hates this thing, and I do not get it. I mean, this is a good movie. Like, <laughs> I understand why Kevin doesn't like it because Kevin is a Kubrick hater. <laughs> But I don't get the hatred or the kind of soft enthusiasm that you get from all the letterbox people who give this movie a two and a half or a three or a three and a half and are saying, oh, Kubrick is just, he's such a genius. This is such a stumbling first effort. It's garbage compared to what he goes on to do. Uh, this is like, uh, I, I wouldn't, <laughs> I'm not going to like say that this is, uh, you know, as good as, the shining or something, but I mean like comparatively speaking for the budget that this has and for the, uh, time when it comes out, like it's brilliant. I mean, it's like, I, I texted Jonathan. I said, you got to watch this thing. I was like, it's proto Herzog. It's, it reminds me of, uh, Herzog's first film, actually signs of life. Um, and it's this amazing surrealistic, 
uh, comment about war and and masculinity and I just thought I just, I don't know I was very enamored with it I really really enjoyed it uh, I thought everything was everybody was good in it because I think that uh, you know I read a lot of reviews saying that the the I don't know the actors names anymore but the main guy uh like the leader of them you know that he feels stilted or whatever but i was like i feel like mm. that has to be directed that way because the rest of them aren't acting that way and he's the leader like he's the typical all-american you know captain of the corps or whatever you know and he's like there to lead the charge against the enemy or to get them out of the enemy lines or whatever so i was like it feels right that he's acting that way that he's acting uh, as if he's in a movie in 1953, which he is, you know. Mm. <laughs> and um, the other fellow, the guy who's a film director, I can't remember his name. Anybody? Anybody? His name no. is Paul Mazursky, um, mm. film writer uh, and director. Uh, Paul Mazursky's in it, you know, as the um, the crazy guy who like kills the woman because he's in love with her. You remember any of this? Ties no. her to a tree, and then he's like. No, I mean, talking all weird to her and stuff. <laughs> I think the reason I rated it so low was because I I just felt like there was nothing there to grab me. I mean, it would. I mean, obviously, I'll have to watch it again. Look, it's fair enough. I'm not telling you that you're wrong, like I would normally say if you told me a Kubrick film was a two. But <laughs> you know, like you're wrong about all other Kubrick films except Doctor Strangelove. But uh, <laughs> but this one, uh, I don't know that I would say you're wrong because again, it's not it's not fair to it's not fair to judge it against his other films. I don't think. Mm. But I also don't think it's like it reminds me of those reviews. Remind me of okay. Well, one of the reviews said like Kubrick disowns it, and I was like, how true is that? So I went and looked it up, and he did. Mm. He was like, he says like this isn't the movie that I wanted to make. And like, it met, like we, we didn't get certain shots that we wanted to get and it didn't look right. And, and uh, I, I tried to get the copies out of circulation. I want people to see it. So it's like, that's fine. Kubrick's a perfectionist. He's like insane. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. but it's like that. Remi- it just reminded me of uh, David Gilmore talking about Umaguma, the, uh, or Amagama or whatever, mm. the Pink Floyd album and him saying, he literally said we were stumbling in the dark yeah. in that album. And I was like, I, couldn't disagree more with that statement. Like that album is amazing and it's brilliant and it's a like genius concept and uh, it works very well. And I just don't, you know, I, I just don't agree, but it's again, it's just like the artist versus the fan. Right. Mm. Well, I don't, I don't know that. I mean, I'd, I'd have to read the quote, but I don't know if Gilmore was like um, disparaging. He sounded like that, he was disparaging way. it. I don't know. I mean, like, or he, saying like it was a mistake. He he essentially was saying like we didn't make a a real good album. He he says it. He says all oh, of yeah, our, he yeah. says all of our albums were like stepping stones to Dark Side of the Moon. He's like that was mm. the first real great album that we made. Yeah, like, he even like dis, discounts metal. He's like metal's not even that great compared compared to these other. You know what I mean? Okay, He's then saying, I'm I'm gonna have to stop you there. Right. David. So it's like. I mean, but not only getting the Pink Floyd here, but oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the point is that Fear and Desire, I was blown away. I loved it. Mm. I think it's fantastic. I think it's better than some of his later films, quite frankly, but I mean, that's just me. So, I mean, each his own, guys. Each yeah. his own. But that's no fun for a podcast. You guys got to argue with me. <laughs> well, like, I think, I mean, th- this is this is something I've brought up on the podcast quite often. Like, you know, I, I like and admire a lot of Kubrick's stuff, but like, I feel like, especially in the movie world, he is like so fraught with hero worship. Oh, sure. That like whatever, whatever you know, 
criticisms you could make about any any of his movies like you know you just got cinephiles trying to beat down your door going like no this is perfect why don't you understand yeah he's a free pass machine for sure why but don't I mean, you mm. understand <laughs> why not? i mean that's why that's why i mean i and i think i think that i kind of felt like maybe i was one of those kinds of people until i rewatched the killing and was not a huge fan of the killing it was like i was like this has a lot of problems i'm not that into this the and killing if, has such fucking amazing stuff yeah. and then comes the narration and, and yeah and frank darabont's words just kicks it in the nuts right and i would say like if i were going to say something that was a um like nothing like what he would go on to direct it would be the kill like the killing is less what he directs later than mm. fear and desire is to, in, in my opinion i mean the killing doesn't have his tr- as many of his director trademarks as fear and desire mm. seems to have What's the other one? Was it Killer's Killer's Killer Kiss, Kiss, which I haven't seen in a long time, so okay. I don't know how to. Judge I'll have to that watch one, both but... of those again. Yeah, I remember liking Killer's Kiss, but I was like mm. literally like sixteen when I watched it. So okay, I don't know. yeah. Anyway, that's Fear and Desire. Mm. I loved it. It's on Prime. Check it out, Jr. Yeah, <laughs> maybe my pick will be my pick for next week. Will be we all watch all of Kubrick's movies. Hey, I'm in, bud. Break them down. Who has that kind of time? A Kubrick premium? I'm in. <laughs> I mean, right. I'll do it if you want. <laughs> That'd be epic. Oh, he's he's literally thinking about it. Look at him. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah. Um, okay, so I watched uh, Corpus Christi, which was uh, you know an Oscar-nominated international film last year that got a small theatrical release in February. Uh, got the Blu-ray, <gasps> and uh, you know it's a nice little uh, it's a nice little lovable movie about a, a juvenile convict who uh, you know pretends to be a priest for a whole community, and uh, that premise gets really like it's got all kinds of like cringy, cringeworthy uh, tension in it where it's like you're gonna get caught now, you're gonna get caught now. Why are you doing something so stupid? Because, you know, he's a 20-year-old who's been in juvenile detention for years. Um, and he's pulling off this priest thing, which is unlikely, I'd say. <laughs> uh, but the the movie goes to some pretty interesting and dark places. And it looks really good. And uh, this kid, uh, Bartos, Bartosz, I don't know, Bielenia, he's, uh, he's good. He's really good. Um, you know, I don't know if it's like deserved to be nominated for an Oscar. Uh, not that I've, you know, cause I've seen all foreign movies from last year. Uh, but it was, <laughs> it was good. Worth your time. Nice. Cool. I've seen the poster for this film a bunch mm. on, um, most I of hate the poster. Oh, like really? he's got his arms open and he's yeah. like, he's getting this big, like <laughs> laugh smile thing. Yeah. And I just like, there's something about it. That's like, I, I want nothing to do with this <laughs> religious scenario, but uh, that is, you know, literally like a, a three second, you know, scene in the movie. Not, mm. not a big deal. All right, Kevin. So on a whim, I searched the library's catalog and found out that they had actually ordered copies of the two Jakes, the sequel to Chinatown directed by Jack Nicholson. And written by Robert Town. So I 
forget where I watched this originally. It might have been on AMC back when they showed movies. Um, but yeah, so I rewatched the two Jakes, and again, Robert Town kind of proves that Chinatown was kind of a one. One hit wonder, <laughs> yeah. Because the sequel, well, I don't know. I, 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 well, not to defend Robert Town because I like Tequila Sunrise was a real piece of shit. But yeah, but uh, the last detail he wrote and it was amazing. So <laughs> oh, okay. uh, oh, you didn't like the last detail? I wasn't. In, it wasn't huge. You're done, bud. You're done. <laughs> no, man. The last detail is a five out of five. You kidding pack me? Your, pack your fucking bags. <laughs> pack your oh fucking my god. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Anyway. Um, so yeah, like, I think Nicholson is on fine form as an actor. Don't know so much about the direction. So you got him, you got Nicholson, you got, uh, Harvey Keitel, you got, uh, Meg Tilly. One of the guys is coming back from, uh, Chinatown, Walsh. M. Emmett Walsh? No. Oh. Uh, the the, the character's name is Walsh. Oh, the character's name is Walsh. Yeah. Um, is uh, Crispin Glover's dad in this movie? Is he? Because he was in the original. I don't know. His name's uh, Bruce Glover. Oh, no, he's not. Uh, it's sure. it's the other guy. Okay. Um, yeah, I did not know that. Anyway. I, don't, I only know that because I, I f- like I know I follow uh, Crispin Glover a little bit. Like I used to follow. I follow his Instagram account, but I think he shut it down. Oh, and okay. uh, he's talked about his. Anytime you read about his films that he's directed, which aren't available anywhere because he only shows them when he does his live shows, oh. uh, he talks about Bruce Glover's in one of them, and it says, like, Bruce Glover, star of Chinatown. <laughs> so they're really trying to sell it, you know. Nice. So. Yeah, there there are some... There's just some plain, ridiculous moments in the movie. Like, um, uh, David Keith plays this uh, detective... And he's like the son of one of the guys who was in Chinatown, and like he he's just intent on breaking uh, Jack Nicholson's chops. But there's there's a point where Nicholson's just had enough, and he like starts wailing on him like in the police station, and like pulls a gun on him, and like puts puts it puts it at his mouth, starts screaming, "Suck it, suck it." And like the dude, the dude like ends up putting it in his mouth, and then he pisses himself. And it's just really like Sounds over the top. Good, and, <laughs> okay, I'm into I don't, it. I don't know. Yeah. It's just, it just wow. it just seemed like so ridiculous. Um, I have to find this movie immediately and watch it. Yeah, I mean, I I, I like uh, I like Keitel. It, it was funny. Like I ended up watching a lot of stuff with Harvey Keitel over the past couple of weeks. Um, Frederick Forrest is in this. Yeah, for like five minutes, I, I think. I love Frederick. I've been meaning to watch... Um, what's it? One, one from the Heart? A, yeah, One from the Heart. I've been meaning to watch that again. Like, so good. Si- since like, you, you watched it like years ago. Yeah, I need to rewatch it too. He's amazing. Yeah. Um, just didn't work for you, huh? Yeah, it just... There are, there are things about it that are decent, but I don't know. It just, it just doesn't work for me overall so three it's weird five. that it takes place so i'm reading that it takes place 11 years after chinatown mm. but it's made 17 years after chinatown yeah so I, jack nicholson is 17 years older not 11 years older right and whatever i'm sure they don't give a fuck yeah because you know robert town apparently you know this was like 1990 
Yeah. And I want to say Tequila Sunrise was like 86 or 87. Yeah, this guy is... Yeah, this guy's it, a joke. He, yeah, he had just... <laughs> Yeah, he's he gets so much praise. He's like a legend just for writing Chinatown. It's so weird. Yeah. I mean, like, not saying he didn't write other good. Like, he wrote Shampoo. He wrote Mission Impossible. Apparently, I'm sure he did a draft of Mission Impossible. Yeah, because I know uh, David Kep wrote part of that too. But I mean, like, it's just mm. weird how how much praise he gets, and all you really yeah. hear about is Chinatown. I mean, he did like a lot of famous well, movies in the '70s: Parallax View and The Yakuza and mm. Missouri Breaks. Although those are uncred- some of those are uncredited. Yeah, like I feel like he's probably like a you know, like punch up writer kind of. Yeah, guy. Days I mean, of Thunder. Yeah, I never saw Days of Thunder. Really, that could be good. No, oh. never saw. It's fun. It. It's on Prime. It's on my list. I just haven't mm. watched it. Yeah. Did the Firm also with uh, oh. Tommy? Right, and right. then Mission Impossible. So and Mission Impossible Two. Oh, if you can believe it. Sounds like you're listing only good movies. Mission Impossible Two is a good movie. <laughs> well, he didn't. Oh, he bud. didn't list uh, Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan. No, did he do that? Jesus Christ! I think he wrote like I forget if he got credit. Yeah, for Greystoke. It. He wrote. He wrote under a pseudonym, P. H. P. H. Vazic. Yeah. He's also apparently writing the Chinatown prequel television show. Hmm. I remember him Sign saying that me he, up. Oh, speaking of Chinatown, did you guys hear this about Ben Affleck? He's directing a film about the making of Chinatown. It's not really? a doc. It's like a narrative film. Like he's gonna have to cast yeah. Nicholson and Polanski and everything. Wow, so weird. I yeah. hope they get. Do you the... think he's gonna cast himself as Nicholson? Like I could totally Nicholson, see that. Taller? and like mm. and like eighty pounds heavier. Yeah, he needs to. He needs to cast uh, the guy from uh, uh, Once Upon a Time in, in Hollywood as Polanski. I mean, that guy oh, looks yeah. just like Polanski for sure. Yeah. Anyway, um, do you John, think it's going to be like an expose on Polanski? I don't think so. I think it, no. if anything, it said like uh, th- they were talking about how problematic it is that he has to cast somebody as Polanski and that Polanski is a character in the film. <laughs> like, you know, like it's going to be weird that he is. But yeah, I mean, I don't think. Well, I was going to say Tarantino didn't have that problem, but you know, Polanski was married to Sharon Tate. Well, people so. had issues with the fact that. Polanski's portrayed in that film for sure. I mean, I mean, yeah. I don't, you know, those those are obviously kind of like weird, short sighted yeah. issues. Mm. Okay. I think it would be kind of weird to just like erase, right? Erase Polanski because that kind of erases like the reason that Sharon Tate is there. Of course, I mean yeah. the same thing for no, Chinatown. Well, if you're telling no. a story about the making of a film, like you can't erase who the director was. So right. <laughs> anyway, um, Jr., you want to talk? She dies tomorrow. Sure. Let's do it. So uh, She Dies Tomorrow is a a new film, 2020 release, from a female director, Amy Simetz, who previously directed Sun Don't Shine. Sun Don't Shine. Yeah, which is uh, some people say is good. I don't know. I haven't seen it. It's... It's fine, but she also is. Uh, she was like the main creative force behind the Girlfriend Experience TV show. Okay, um, and she's been she's been doing a lot of indie acting and collaborating for a long time. Like she's in Shank Ruth's uh, Upstream mm-hmm. Color. Right, I had read yeah. that. Yeah, sure, sure. And uh, she also. Uh, well, I mean, anyways, this film, She Dies Tomorrow, has been getting a lot of. Uh, I would say rave reviews from what I've been seeing personally. And especially there are people that I follow on Facebook, for instance, uh, other podcasters who have have watched this thing multiple times and given it five out of five. So um, I don't know. What did you, what did you think about she dies tomorrow? Jr. I really enjoyed it. I, 
you know, this is, I mean, I guess we're going to, we're going to call it a horror movie, I guess. Uh, would you call it a horror movie? I would not no. but I mean, okay. I can see people I, calling it that. I feel like it's got a horror movie premise and, uh, it's got some like horror movie lighting elements. Sure. I'll sure. say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So I guess yeah, it's horror so it movie. Is, it's uh, horror by 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 virtue of its tone, but yeah. but I wouldn't necessarily. I mean, I don't I don't know what I call. It's more experimental than it's horror, in my opinion. It's more like a right, and, and you know the the kind of like a panic attack or anxiety as as virus as pathogen or something that can be spread. I thought was inherently interesting that is not explored in a way that's going to give you like any answers as to why this is happening. Um, but I got a lot of enjoyment out of the way this spread and the different reactions that different people had when they decided they were also going to die tomorrow. Um, and I also really liked, I liked the way it looked. I liked the lighting effects that kind of, provided this weird psychotic reaction but uh, i don't think you liked it as much what do you think no i i well it's not okay so i mean there this is a really weird one because i would watch i was watching it and the there were things about it that i was really enjoying uh the i mean the the atmosphere building the tone building in itself i thought was uh pretty impressive actually and i like the idea to an extent, uh, I feel like what you said, how it's not explored in any kind of way, it's going to give you answers. I don't necessarily need answers, but I just felt like, I felt like it wasn't explored to the point where it means, it it seems meaningless. Like it seems like there's nothing behind it. And I know that people, what I've read, what people are reading into it. I don't see that in it very much. And um, I, I will just say that like any, you know, I, I think the popular thing to write about as a critic is just to like link everything to coronavirus and any sure. sort of anxiety is just like made current. Uh, and you know, this obviously was written and directed uh, well before there was a pandemic. And so I have no interest in reading about how it's, you know, right. A coronavirus movie. Right. I mean, and I, and I, it's just I, an anxiety movie. I see it. Yeah. I see it more as like, uh, especially from the, from the, Amy character, the very f- the first character, when she passes it originally, I mean, when it's uh, essentially the film is about her for the first twenty or thirty minutes, you know, and um, it 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 read more to me like this is how depression spreads, like somebody's depressed, and this is not not even how it spreads, just how it affects those around the person who is depressed, right? Like if you know somebody who's genuinely depressed like it's just like brutal like you can't do anything about it there's nothing that they they can't change anything about their behavior uh everybody wants them to change but they're unable to and they don't even know why and uh that's that's more what it what it was like to me and i thought that was interesting but again i don't know that it says anything about that it just shows it over and over again and uh Normally, I love repetition in films. I mean, I actually like the the scene where she played the record over and over again. I I didn't mind that. I was I was oh, that was. I thought that was that whole the whole Amy scene yeah. in the beginning. My that might be my favorite part of the movie. Just it is so uh, patient and kind of gets us into the groove of this sort of depression as hell. Yeah. Uh, just like 
the, even the way every like this music is repeating and we keep seeing her like start their record over I, I thought that was great yeah i i didn't have a, a big problem with any of the amy section of the film uh at the beginning uh and i like the actress uh jane adams a lot who plays the older friend of hers yeah who uh transfers it to the party and uh but it's honestly it's jane adams's scenes uh, and I mean, sort of like all that stuff that happens with her, like essentially how the movie kind of abandons Amy and starts following Jane Adams, uh, through the whole, the party scene, the, the, the other people getting it. And like, they're all reacting. I agree. They react in different ways eventually, but at the beginning, when they first get it they they react the exact same way. And I guess I felt like that was a little bit like, it feels like a missed opportunity. It feels like you could have done something more interesting than to show, the exact same well, situation with each, except for the fact that the lights were different colors, but the, you know, it's, it's the same kind of, they say the same thing in the same monotone way with the same lights. And then they all choose to do different things. Hey, hey, there, there are different levels of, <laughs> of monotone here. Sure. Like <laughs> Katie Asselton's monotone is nothing like Tunde at a uh, monotone. Right. When well, he says, I need to go to the hospital. Yeah. I mean, I didn't actually mind the, uh, that the, the stuff with Tunde Adabimte wasn't, wasn't my least favorite. I would say like the, the Chris Messina and his wife and, uh, like I didn't like their stuff at all. Like their discussion of what they were going to do with their kid and everything like that. Like that did nothing for me. I just kind of bored during that section. And I really hated when Jane Adams went to Michelle Rodriguez's house and, just because you hate Michelle Rodriguez. No, it's not. It's, it's not it. at all. I it, didn't. No, it's it. It's it. <laughs> no, no it's just like it I just it just felt like such a ridiculous like lame indie scene. Like they just go to this house and she goes into the pool bleeding and the whole pool turns red with the blood. I don't know the whole and what they're talking about. Like we're never gonna see trees well, again. Like I, just go, go fuck yourself. I, I I don't know. It just did nothing for. <laughs> at that point, I was I, like, this thing's got to so, end immediately. You know. And it did. Yeah. But the, like, so I mean, I saw, Michelle Rodriguez was in the credits. Yeah. And I mean, we're at like seven minutes left, and she's still not there. And I'm like, what? I mean, is she in this movie? I don't but remember really, seeing her was, in the opening credits. The way that you are, oh, sorry, just like in the letterboxed oh, credits. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think she's in the opening credits. But the way that you are blinded by your hatred of Michelle Rodriguez. Oh, bullshit. I, he I gave Girl blinded. Fight five out of five, man. I've never seen Girl Fight. <laughs> I am I am 100% blinded by Olivia my love for Olivia Taylor Dudley the uh, the blonde girl who's with her Oh yeah um, I think I think she is uh, a gift to this world and I don't even remember what they were talking about cuz I was just like I I'm so glad to be in your presence Olivia That's okay look and I know you're kidding but like seriously I have Sorry. no I don't wait, really wait, have I know I mean about Michelle Rodriguez I don't Oh yeah necessarily like i don't think she was bad in this movie exactly i just don't like that scene i don't like the two characters i don't like what's said during that scene i don't i think it feels you know what it feels like it feels like weird on purpose it feels like you know what we gotta have this weird surreal ending to this little indie horror thriller thing that we're doing let's have her walk into this house randomly and the girls not react at all to it and they're all just talking about these surrealistic weird sounding shit and then somebody goes sits on a mountain it's it's, i don't know i I, I didn't even think of think of the that part as like surreal i i was just kind of thinking of how like they are another 
reaction, like their reaction to this thing was to, to like get really high and just, just space out. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's fine. I, but I it, do understand I what, what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. It just didn't, just didn't work. I mean, there are parts of it, like there were scenes when I was like, this thing is jumping up a little bit now. And I was, I think I got up to a four at some point during it, but I, it, it dropped back down. And uh, I and I just realized why you're giving this such a high rating, Jr. Because I liked it. Because James Benning is in it. You love James Benning. Did you know this? Yeah, I, yeah. I did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this guy loves was, James Benning. So I I would think he might be having having the weird old guy talking about uh, you know b- bodies to to bring in to make leather. That was probably like the most indie indie movie moment for me. <laughs> you know it's like it's a little dark yeah i wasn't a fan Mm. of any of that stuff either actually during if it's still warm i can uh, right during the amy scene like her idea to turn herself into a jacket and all that stuff after she dies like i i don't know i was like i don't yeah it just felt like it just felt like not it just felt like nothing like just like word vomit like somebody Mm. just wrote this shit over a long weekend and i mean (laughs) like you know and it sounds it feels like it feels like a a nugget of an idea that could be explored but they didn't feel like exploring it they just felt like getting the movie made as quickly Mm. as possible and that might not be fair to amy simons i don't know what her thought process was i haven't watched any interviews with her or anything like that but it just wasn't uh didn't do it for me so i listened to one interview she did with uh the big picture of the ringer movie podcast yeah, uh, where she like, she said she was inspired by her like constant depression and anxiety over like political and Twitter type shit. And mm. just like the way she realized her friends were reacting when she was constantly just going into these, just talking about it when people didn't necessarily want to be talking about it. Um, that was interesting. There is two. The main the main character is named Amy, which is Mm, yeah. So that's you know seemed pretty uh, on the nose, but that's that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. I like her. I like well. I like Amy Simons as a performer. I like Jane Addams. I like Caitlin Sheel. I I just I liked a lot of these people. I like a lot of these people in general, and I like them in this movie. Sure. I I agree that Katie Asselton and Chris Messina were were my least favorite. The uh the family sure. windows in the kitchen. Yeah. Kid. And I, I like Chris Messina usually as a rule. Like I, I don't see a lot of yeah. stuff that he's in that I dislike, but it wasn't even, it wasn't necessarily his performance. It was just that whole, just the section of the film didn't work for me. And also I was going to say the only acting that I had a huge issue with where I was like, this acting is horrible. Was at the very, very beginning where it shows, I think it's her, her boyfriend and he's like throwing stuff yeah, in the uh, apartment K- and screaming. He's awful. That dude's the rough. Kentucky oddly. Yeah. That guy's he, he's brutal. <laughs> Kentucky Robbie is weird, uh, and he's someone who has like he only does like micro budget mumblecore stuff, and I, I think around a lot of people who can act circles around him, it just it was noticeable. Yeah, it was it was embarrassing. It was a bad way to start the film. I'm surprised that they started it with such a weak part of a performance, but and it yeah they they barely they only barely connect him to like his part later. I, I don't think we needed his opening scene. I agree at all. I agree. All right. Uh, Kevin. Okay. So to prepare, uh, for the Scorsese list, I watched the original Cape fear, 
not to what? not to interrupt, but my brother just I I've been showing my brother a lot of movies lately, mm-hmm. especially since quarantine's been going. He actually moved to Michigan uh, a week or two ago, so he's in Michigan now because oh. that's where the clubs are open. So oh. <laughs> he's able to actually work there, mm. and apparently he's he's planning on staying permanently. So that's I mean, which is fine. Cool. But anyways, uh. Yeah, so I've been showing him a lot of movies, and, and now that he's gone, I've just been kind of like texting him. He's been telling me about me. He's on Letterboxd now and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I told him, I was like, I was like, have you, uh, I looked at his letterbox, I was like, have you not seen Cape Fear? And he's like, no. I was like, are you out of your mind? Like, go <laughs> fucking watch Cape Fear, man. <laughs> and uh, he watched it. He loved it. I think he gave it like a four and a half, which is the score I gave it. And then, uh, and then he was like, what about the original? You know, like, is it any good? And I was like, I've never seen the original but Robert Mitchum is the man, and uh, I was like, if you really want to watch a great early, like older film like that, that is in the same vein, less Cape Fear, I'd say, more Night of the Hunter. So I, I, I encourage him to watch Night of the Hunter instead. But I need to watch that again. He hasn't got around to it yet. Yeah. Anyways, how's uh, how's the old Cape Love Fear? That. I like Robert Mitchum a lot. My, I think one of, one of my biggest problems is uh, Gregory Peck. Sure. Like he's just like it's just he's just so dry and like and the movie itself you know it's like almost 2 hours and it's like you know you got to you know even though Bernard Herman is scoring this thing it's not a Hitchcock movie. Like there's there's is that no Is it a good score? I I I think the score is good. Yeah. Um it's I, I I would say it's kind of typical Bernard Herman, if that makes any sense. Does he score the remake? I mean, it's the same score, isn't it? Essentially, I think bum, so. bum, 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 that whole thing. I forget. I think they, I think they use like someone else. No, has Herman's credit. dead by then. Yeah, cause yeah, he's dead because Taxi Driver is his, his last, last score. Movie. That's right. That's right. But I, I think, um, I think somebody else is credited for the score. But like they use, you know, his themes. Right. 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 That's. I guess that's what I was. Yeah. Meaning to say, Freddie France. No, no, that's the director of photography. Hold on, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Continue, continue. But yeah, um, and yeah, it's like I really, I really like a Robert Mitchum. Um, Martin Balsam, I think, is a really good actor. Uh, I like Telly Savalas in this a lot. I think he, I thought he was great as the like unscrupulous uh, private detective. But That's, it's just so long and so... Telly like, Savalas is playing the Joe Don Baker role? Yes, exactly. Oh, that's cool. I like that. Uh, yeah. And I like, uh, I'll like. i I'll get to this... Well, I mean, I'm, I'm here. I, I, get, <laughs> I gave... I gave uh, so I gave the original one a three, and I gave uh, the remake a four. You hate... I, you hate Cape Fear. Four? Come on. <laughs> just <laughs> just kidding. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. But I really like I really like Joe Don Baker in in the remake. Oh, he's amazing! He's it's fantastic. it's his finest role by a mile. Like he's I, terrific. I would, in I would it. definitely agree. I mean, like I I really like him as uh, Jack Wade and Goldeneye. But uh, yeah, he's all right in that too. I mean, yeah. he's funny in that, but he's kind of like the comic relief in that. Like in this, yeah, he's for sure, for sure. I say he he almost functions as the comic relief in this also, but it's in a totally mm. different way. Yeah, it's and, comic relief, but it's like dark. Comic yeah, yeah, relief. it's really good. And yeah. I was just to say this real quick. Uh, uh, so they did. They used the exact same score, but Elmer Bernstein conducted a new uh, recording ah, of it. Okay, so he okay. conducted the same score, but it's Elmer Bernstein. Yeah, and, uh, that makes and a lot Kevin, more sense. Yes. Do you know what movie is twenty five minutes longer than this very long original Cape Fear? The, the remake. remake? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jr., you don't like the remake? No, I do. Okay. I'm just <laughs> saying it's it's long. 
Yeah, but with Scorsese uh, movies that are long, I mean, Wolf of Wall Street's long. It doesn't feel like it's three hours, you know what I mean? Scorsese's got a kinetic energy. Yeah, Wolf of Wall Street is like exactly three hours, but it moves so fucking great. Yeah, his shit doesn't feel like it's long at all. I agree that J. Lee Thompson is not Martin Scorsese. (laughs) Are you sure? (laughs) He's not not Scorsese, and he's not, you know, like, it it felt like... Like, they were really trying to get, like, somebody to do, like, a Hitchcock-type thing. Sure. And and they got this they got this guy, and he just, you know... It's not horrible, but it's just it just takes... It takes so long to get where it's going, and there's so much, so much, like... So much downtime for a movie that's supposed to be building suspense... Whereas, like, the, you know, the Scorsese one, like, it moves. There's a lot more interesting shots. Like, the way he does the the crash zooms on, like, when Nolte is, like, locking the doors. And Nolte's great. Um, Jessica Lange, like, like, we were talking earlier about, you know, like, Ryan Murphy stuff. It's like, she's in a whole lot of that stuff, too. And she's just... Basically, everything that she's in with Ryan Murphy, she's just the sassy old broad. Of course. Where it's like you watch other stuff like this and you realize like how good an actress she is. She's she great. has great and range. We, we reviewed Rob Roy on this show. She's, yeah, she's, she's great. terrific. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, again, like, yeah. Although I didn't feel it as bad in the Scorsese one, the length was definitely kind of a problem for, for me there, too. And just like. I don't know. For me, it kind of got over the top with all the blood and stuff. Oh, I love and the violence. I, well, so, you're, such a, you're such a prude. When he when Jordan <laughs> Baker gets his head blown off and the he's, they, they, Nick Nolte slips in the blood. I thought that was kind of goofy. <laughs> oh, actually. so amazing, so amazing. I love that shit. I love it. Uh, my brother had my brother's only criticism was the uh, the end scene with the, the on the houseboat. He didn't like that. He's like he didn't like the uh, way that it ended. But I I've always liked that a lot. I like how goofy and out over the top it gets at the end. Mm. And I really like the whole like uh, Southern Baptist stuff that happens where he's like mm. you know he's talking about how his mama handled rattlesnakes and shit. And he's like oh, and yeah, he starts yeah. speaking in tongues at the end. Yeah, I thought uh, Pentecostal. Yeah, weird, weird. and I actually didn't mind De Niro's accent. I thought like, he was, I thought that's good, actually. Yeah, yeah, like I thought I thought I would, but then I was like, no, that's actually really good. I'd say if anything, uh, Nolte's accent might be a little shaky, but I don't mind it. I think they're yeah. all. I think they're all good. Yeah, you're right. But uh, can't wait yeah. to talk about accents later. What our deep dive movie? Oh, oh yeah, great. oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> accents. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. I uh, I watched uh, the Tax Collector, which is the new David Ayer film, straight mm. to straight to VOD. Oh my god! Yeah, why? <laughs> this guy says why? Because David Ayer directed Fury, and I'm still high off Fury all these years later. <laughs> David Ayer reteaming with Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, exactly. I mean, honestly, yeah. If Shia LaBeouf wasn't in this, I would not have spent the time to download it, and. Uh, after you download it and watch it, you realize you did waste your time because Shia LaBeouf dies about 45 minutes into it, and then the rest of the movie, he's not in it. How long is the movie? It's an hour and a half, so it's about halfway through. But, I mean, it's mm. like it's just mm. like you're, watch, you're only watching this thing because Shia LaBeouf's in it, and then he dies. It's just like, what am I watching now? Who is this other guy? I don't care about this fucking guy and his problems. <laughs> And uh, it's just your typical drug dealer mm. running from his uh, the other rival gangs who want to kill him and take over the drug deal scene mm. kind of movie uh, set in L.A. Um, Shia LaBeouf plays Creeper, who's mm. a uh, 
essentially like a, the muscle for this drug dealer called the wizard who's in jail. Mm-hmm. And uh, his job is to collect taxes from all the street gangs in LA to give to wizard because in the world of tax collector that happens. <laughs> There's no way that shit happens. Uh, so anyways, uh, so it follows him and wizards like uh right hand man guy who's running everything on the outside. Who's I don't remember his name, but he's like a, he's a Hispanic guy. He's uh, some actor I've never seen or heard of. And he's, of course, got, like, this beautiful wife and family who are just, like, perfect in every way. And they live in this mansion and everything's going great. But he's just, you know, it's like the Walter White kind of mentality. He's mm. doing this crazy shit on the side. and mm. But in this film, the wife does know about it. But anyways, um, so, yeah, they, they run afoul of the new gangster in town who I want to say the name of because it's absolutely absurd. Um, it's not absurd exactly what his name is, but it's crazy what his actual name is compared to what his name is, if that makes sense. Mm. I'm going to go to the IMDb page. Give me one second. I'm mm. almost there. I'm so close. So the new villain's name is Conejo, and uh, that's his name in the film, Conejo, and he's played by a rapper named Conejo. <laughs> So, like, I don't, like, you know what I mean? Just talk okay. about this is the laziest shit you've ever heard of. Mm. There's this really weird scene. Bobby Soto plays David, who is the main uh, guy, which mm. I just realized is David Ayer is named his character after himself. But anyways, um, and uh, George Lopez plays his Uncle Lewis, who gets beheaded <laughs> early in the film. <laughs> so, uh, but wow. the only thing I really want to say, it's a total, like, I mean, to call it a piece of shit, maybe even be too generous. It's just completely like not worth anybody's time to go into mm. this. But I will say that uh, th- a really obvious glaring issue that I had with it when I was when I watched it was that there's like a seven minute scene where Bobby Soto's character David is uh, at a Krav Maga studio learning Krav Maga, and like he makes a mistake. And the dojo master, like, teaches him what he did wrong, and then he, like, rectifies it by fighting this guy? Okay. What is this scene there for, right? Foreshadowing. Of course, he's going to use Krav Maga later in the film, right? Mm. End of the film, he's fighting with Conejo on the floor of a bathroom. He's trying to murder him. They're trying to kill each other. Conejo's got him on the floor. He's got a towel over his face. It's a wet towel. He's suffocating him. Starts flashing back to his Krav Maga training, right? obvious right this mm. seems like completely cliche yeah. and lame right mm. then <laughs> it literally keeps and it keeps cutting to his legs and stuff but nothing's happening and then all of a sudden he picks up a piece of the toilet and hits him in the face <laughs> it's Ganeo in the face with it and then beats him to death and that's the end of the movie <laughs> like what? Just a, what, what, what happened it's just a classic <laughs> Bait and switch, Classic, right? Oh, red done. herring. Yeah. Subversion of expectations. It's... Is, <laughs> David Ayer knows how to write. Mm. <laughs> I, was, I was completely... I was like, what is going on? Why would they show these cutbacks to the Krav Maga scene? And then it's like, why did the Krav Maga scene happen <laughs> if this wasn't what it was for? I was so waiting for it. Honestly, I was like, this might be kind of cool. Like, he's going to use some kind of, like, martial arts against this guy. Like, that's hmm. that'd be interesting. Nothing. <laughs> he just beats him to death with a toilet lid. <laughs> it's insane. This movie is the worst. The absolute worst. And I don't want to disparage uh, Shia LaBeouf. 
you could tell he's really putting his all into it. Like he probably rode around with actual street gangs studying for the role and shit. Like mm. he's really into it. It's just a shame that his character. You could, I, it feels like he's doing a favor for David Ayer, mm. and David Ayer could only like have him on set for like two or three days, and that's why they had to murder him halfway through the movie. But anyway, um, so this is his. This is Ayer's third film since Fury. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I assume you have not seen the other two. I saw Suicide Squad, uh, and okay. I did not see Bright. No. Mm. I just I feel like at some point you gotta let go. Okay, but uh, but but uh, he's a good example of what we were talking about earlier, though, mm. right? A bad, terrible director who directed a great film. Mm. No. Says you. You don't like you don't like Fury. I still haven't seen Fury. I still haven't seen Fury. You haven't seen Fury. I've no, seen I'm Fury. Fury is a great film, man. It's actually really good. Believe it or not. Anyway. Yeah, I've I've heard you say that. I've could have sworn you said that you you said you watched it and liked it. I don't know no, why. Never never seen Fury. I've uh, wow. I've seen Harsh Times. Harsh Times is brutal. Off of his own wow. screenplay. Yeah, Training uh, Day. Training Day. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen Street Kings, which is not good. I haven't seen that one. And uh, yeah, I really I really hate Suicide Squad. Yeah, Suicide Squad was brutal. Everything. Yeah, I've never seen anything by him that I like except I like Training Day, but it's been a while since I've seen it. But I like it. He only wrote it. And I like uh, I like Fury a lot, and uh, I you know there's all, I guess I watch this thinking there's always the half you know the off chance that this is going to be some kind of you know at least enjoyable crime picture, but it was just awful. It was atrocious. Mm. I'm sorry I brought it up. Go ahead, Jr. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we accept your apology. <laughs> Alright, uh, you know, so I'm well I'm you know, I'm gonna do the same thing. I'm gonna bring up a movie that you guys will not be interested in and will never watch, but I'm gonna do it anyway because I <laughs> liked it. Um you know, I got on movie and I watched uh something I thought would basically be a TV series because it's fourteen fucking hours long. Yeah. Mm. Um uh La Flor mm-hmm. from uh Argentine director uh, Mariano let's see. Yinas Linus, I know, it's it's the double L. I'm not good at Spanish. I'm sorry, but um, I am a huge Conejo. fan of sorry. his previous movie. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Uh, his previous movie, Extraordinary Stories, which is also, you know, way too long. Uh, but this is um, th- this is six. We'll call them episodes. Six episodes split over like three sections on movie. Uh, it was presented, depending on when you saw it in theaters, over like the course of four nights, weirdly. Um, and all of the unrelated episodes, or almost all of the unrelated episodes, are built around these uh, four actresses that the director befriended, you know, a long time ago. And this movie took like a fucking decade to make. Uh, there are a lot of meta elements, like the director appears as himself at the beginning, kind of explaining what you're going to watch, like the structure. And like one, one of the episodes like actually involves like a director who's working with four actresses who start hating him and he gets sick of them and starts high. It's, uh, it's a little bit bizarre. Um, and there is, like one episode is four and a half hours long. Yeah. And that's, that's too long for an episode of anything to be. Yeah. 
But um, when this movie works, as it frequently does, like there are sections of that four and a half hour episode that are incredible. The first two episodes are just almost perfect. And uh, the last episode, which is the shortest one, is very weird. Um, there's really only there's one dud. The the second to last episode is kind of a dud, but it is a uh, yeah. It, I don't, it is unlike anything I have ever seen because there aren't a ton of fourteen hour sort of meta narratives out there. Um, but it's a uh, it's cool. I it's the kind of thing that if it ever gets a Blu-ray release, Blu-ray release, I'll probably buy it. But it's hard to imagine I'll have time to watch this whole thing again. You own uh, how many Blu-rays do you own, Jr.? Do I own how many do you own? Yeah, or are these them right there? You know, probably you know the hundred ish. Oh, okay. Interesting. Why? Just Is curious. Too few. Too few. Well, no, I mean, yes, of course, but that's not that's not what I mean. <laughs> I wasn't. Tr- I mean, I'm not judging you. I'm just asking. I, I didn't. I didn't never think about you owning films because you seem like you get all your stuff from uh, Netflix and from Mubi and things like this. Yeah. So I, I I typically don't buy movies that I haven't seen now. Mm. I only like I'll purchase movies that I know that I love, uh, so I don't have to ever watch them again. Right. Right. You know. And like I, you know, I do. I usually buy one or two movies from the Criterion sale with Barnes and Noble every time that happens. Did you get one from the sale in uh, July? Yeah, I got uh, the Lady Eve, which is a wonderful comedy, but it has maybe like the worst Criterion cover I've ever seen. So yeah, I'm over. not a fan of that one but either. I looked at. Uh, I didn't look at the sale until the last day, and they were sold out of a lot. Like I yeah. was. Oh yeah. I was like, oh, I should hop on there and buy Notorious, like I had talked about doing, and I, that was sold out already. I bought eight during the sale. Uh, our school gave us a little bonus cash uh, mm. during the summer, so I had a little scarrel. Whenever the uh, sale happened, I bought a uh, Come and See, and I bought um, Miranda July's film, Me and You and Everyone We Know. And I bought the Cranes Are Flying Blu-ray, mm. uh, which was an upgrade because I had the DVD criterion of it. And I really want to rewatch it. And uh, I bought some other ones. Who the fuck knows? You know, I bought Le Petit Soldat, which I haven't actually seen, so that was exciting. Mm. I'm excited to watch that one. So I did also buy Tokyo Olympiad because they finally put that on Blu-ray, nice. and that's. Uh, Big fan of that sports doc. That's mm. in my queue on multiple services. Some it's, my, it's in my queue on Criterion Channel and on HBO Max. Ah. <laughs> so whichever one I'm on at the time, I feel like watching it. That's where it's going to mm. get watched. Actually, the, uh, HBO Max has all of those, as I think as Criterion Channel does also. But I was just like, I was on HBO Max, just like adding one after the other because I was just reading about them. I was like, this sounds great. Like, why am I not watching this? <laughs> but I haven't watched any of them yet. Well, they're all really mm. fucking long, man. They're so fucking long. They're crazy. Like all the Olympic ones? Yeah. They're not. It's it's Tokyo Olympiad and uh, the Bud Greenspan ones are all the really long ones. Yeah. Well, those must be the ones that are Maybe on the Max. And I guess the, mm. the Mexican one is also decently long, but it's not like three hours. The ones I added were the like older ones, like ones from like the 40s and 50s and shit like that. Like, that's the shit that I'd be interested in looking at, oh. you know, as opposed to Maybe the more I, modern ones. I didn't remember those being very long, but I probably just misremembering them. So 
Mm. My bad. Anyway, Kevin? Waiting on Criterion to mm-hmm. get their act together and release that Blu-ray of Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Because they're releasing everything else that Netflix and Hulu does. Yeah, there's yeah, not, even, this is not even an announcement yet. Stupid. Mm. And yeah. they released a bunch of other Colin movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree, and it's it's a shame Come because on, yeah, it's yeah. like it's like Marriage Story, Roma, and uh, Irishmen are getting released, and I think yeah. none of those are as good as Ballad of Buster Scruggs. And yeah. <laughs> this is like exactly. it's really unfortunate that they're not releasing it. But yeah. uh, I mean, I am happy though that I mean, like normally, you know, there was a time when you wouldn't even find a Netflix movie on Blu-ray. And yeah, yeah. The fact that The Irishman is coming out on a nice Criterion edition—that's mm. that's fun. But uh, yeah. And I'll probably get a uh, portrait of, of a lady on fire when it comes out. That is out. Oh, it is. That was out during the sale. I actually, oh. I almost got it yeah. actually, but okay. I didn't I, stop myself. Yeah. I, that's another one I wanted, but it's it was gone just, already. It was just too much for me. Right. I already had eight, so right. <laughs> I can't yeah. can't do more. Right. But uh, Ghost Dog also is exciting. Ghost Dog. Oh is yeah, coming yeah, out yeah. In November. I almost so forgot about that. I'm excited about that. First time on Blu-ray. Mm. Okay. So after after going through all of the um, uh, Scorsese movies, especially the last one shut the that I watched uh, Shutter Island, I decided I needed some lighter fare. So I watched um, Ridley Scott's Legend with Tom Cruise and Tim Curry yeah. and Mia Sara, and I watched the theatrical version because I wanted to hear Tangerine Dream's score because. Yeah, Tangerine Dream. I got nothing against uh, Jerry Goldsmith, but he's not Tangerine Dream. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I was, you know, I was reading a bunch of letterbox reviews, like a bunch of people giving this, like, you know, two out of five, and like, and a lot of them were like, "Oh, there's no spark, or it's not original, or blah 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 blah." And it's like, so what? Find find me an original, like. How rare are original fantasy stories? I don't know how it's not original. It's I mean, what what is it like? What are they saying? It's like, like never ending story or something? I mean, yeah, I mean, sure. There was a lot of like, you know, there was a lot of fantasy movies going on in the eighties. You know, it was kind of a kind of a a time for that. But I mean, come on, like, and since when does something have have to be like super original to still be good? I mean, like, I wouldn't, you know, I gave it a four. I don't think it's absolutely amazing, but it's enjoyable. And I think the the uh, the, the settings are really, really good. Ridley Scott did a, did a really good job on, like, you know, the product. There's a great production design, and the costumes are really good. And do you know I the, like Tangerine Dream score. And, do you know the difference between the uh, theatrical and director's kind? Um, well, I found... Besides I, the score, of course. There was an interesting thing that I did not know. I guess I just... I I wonder if this is maybe the first time that I've even watched this Blu-ray. Anyway, before the theatrical cut, there's a little note from Ridley Scott who says that Universal did a transfer from the internegative, I think he said, that he wasn't supervising. But this one actually came out like the color is richer and like there's more detail in this version. So, and he was like, you know, so I leave it up to you to decide which version is better. Well, so I, I was just reading Roger Avery's review on Letterboxd, and he says mm. that he prefers the 
uh, quote, oddly dark and esoteric U.S. theatrical cut, which leads me to believe that, like, the director's cut has more explanation or something in it, more exposition. Probably. I think I saw the director's cut when Mm. I watched it, and I don't know why I would have watched the director's cut first. I watched it with Jonathan and his, his, at that point, it was his girlfriend. Now it's his wife. Right. So. Yeah, I mean... I I still really enjoy it, and it's uh like I was looking at Letterboxd earlier today, and it's like, yeah, I could probably rewatch a bunch of Ridley Scott's movies. You have this on Blu-ray? Yes. I'm gonna need oh, to no. borrow it from you. Sure. <laughs> you're, gonna, you're gonna go to a dark place if you do that. If I watch Legend. No, by rewatching a bunch of Ridley Scott. Movies. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cause what do you mean when you say a bunch of really? You mean the good ones, like the few, like the three or four really good ones, or the? <laughs> I mean, well, let's see. Even three or four might be pushing it. Honestly, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how many. Well, I mean, I'd call really good. I mean, I really, I, I like the Duelists a lot. Okay. See, I haven't seen the Duelists. That's one of the few I have not. You should, seen. Ch- you should check it out. I mean, um, I love Keith Carradine. Yeah, and he's great. And him and Harvey Keitel. Harvey's a man too. Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah, I would definitely recommend it. Um, but then you know you got uh, Alien sure. and Blade, Blade Runner. Runner, of course. Those are that's that's where it almost ends, really. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what else? What else have you got? Well, like, um, well, then you got Legend. Sure. Okay. Sure. Because like the uh, it's the, been a while. Yeah. Because like the horse, like uh, the horse. Yeah. Footage is from. Yeah. Le- yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then you got uh, was it uh, someone to watch over me with? Which I think Jr. gave like two out of five. Yeah, really, really did not like it. Mm. And Black like, Rain is a pile of shit. Yeah, I know you both didn't I like that. Hated one. Black Rain. Um, I've seen Thelma and Louise, but it's been like a million years. I couldn't stand Thelma and Louise when I watched it. Uh, it's been a long time ago. Let's see. There's yeah. also I, I like Thelma and Louise. Oh, okay. There's White Squall. White Squall. I, which, ne- I don't think I've seen White Squall actually. I I have, yeah, I have no idea if that's good. Right. I don't, I don't remember uh, either. Like I remember I enjoying it at the time, but you know, it, I mean, that was what's after that. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. What's after Let's, that? GI uh, Jane. People, people really like. People like Black Hawk Down. People like Matchstick Men. I like GI Jane. I'll defend GI Jane. I think it's a. F- it's a f- very entertaining movie. I don't think right. it's a great movie or anything, but it's very fun and it's got some really great scenes and Viggo Mortensen is really good in it. Yeah. You know, people, people love gladiator. I, I don't, I, th- I mean, I wouldn't gladiator say I was decent. dislike gladiator. Yeah. I'm not one of these people who's like gladiator is a piece of shit. You know, <laughs> it's yeah. like, I've been meaning okay. to watch American gangster again for like a long, long I, time. Yeah. I liked it when I first saw it, but I feel like I wouldn't like it now if I yeah. rewatched it. I, I hated don't... all the money in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was bad. Yeah. Didn't like Prometheus. I think his, uh, Alien Covenant was a step up from Prometheus. But I like Alien amazing. Covenant. Okay, yeah, it was a three and a half for me. Yeah. Um, what else? I've seen Body of Lies, but I'm I don't know how that one's going to hold up. It's been a while for Body of Lies from since the theater for yeah. me. I, What's that one he did with yeah. Diane Lane? I remember a good year. Or something. There was a that was with Russell something Crow in also. Tuscany. Yeah, yeah. I remember. A, that was a good year. I remember okay. Russell Crowe. 
<laughs> I remember Russell Crowe talking about uh, Body of Lies in an interview mm. when the movie first came out. I think it was one of those featurettes <laughs> before another movie that I was seeing. Mm. And he was he said in the interview he's like really angry about it too. He was like he was like this is uh, you know I've seen a lot of performances. This is Leo's best performance. I don't care what the Oscars say in Academy or whatever. All that, all that bullshit. This is Leo's best performance that he's given so far. <laughs> and I was like I was like that's fine, but like that's such a he's just so angry about it, so antagonistic about it. You know, yeah. like we're gonna like it's not like the interview gonna start arguing with him you know <laughs> like i don't know he was really fat at that point so maybe he was short of breath and like people were asking him a bunch of questions <laughs> yeah yeah maybe yeah, yeah i don't remember i remember it being kind of boring if anything but um yeah. i don't know and i like uh. i mean i saw black hawk down in the theater i liked black hawk down but i mean it's just kind of i mean these are like it's like a vapid nonsense kind of a movie you know yeah, it's just yeah. like a popcorn yeah raw raw just for action like i literally yeah. I watch that movie all i want to do is play call of duty like it does that's mm, all it does for right. me so yeah anyway yeah we'll see i'm gonna take some time before i do another director list again so i hear that um okay so uh let's see i think i'm almost done here guys mm. i watched unless you want to talk color of money yeah we can yeah, if you guys want, we, we all can, watched Color of Money. Yeah, so I guess we, we can do talk that, and uh, I can just get into my Scorsese list. Okay. Uh, so I rewatched Color of Money because you both did, mm. and I had been meaning to watch it for a while, and I had uh, gotten rid of my DVD a while ago, thinking I was going to upgrade to the Blu-ray, but then I read that the Blu-ray is terrible quality, mm. so I never bought it. So I had to download this fucking thing, uh. <laughs> and uh, ended up downloading the Blu-ray rip, incidentally. Ah. And uh, yeah, just I mean. Just talk about entertaining. Just a fun fucking movie. Mm. Just a lot of fun. Uh, Paul Newman is a blast. Oh, Tom yeah. Cruise is like when pe- this is one of those films where you point to and say Tom Cruise is not a good actor. Watch The Color of Money, man. Mm-hmm. That scene when he loses it in the stairwell and he kisses the balabushka and he puts it down. And he like starts beating it and kicking shit and then he rips the uh, the guardrail off yeah, the wall. Yeah. That shit is amazing. Like that. Yeah. This guy is the man. <laughs> I love that. I love that shit. And I love when he's uh, at the beginning when he's doing all the pool stuff and he's like pretending like the pool cue is a sword, <laughs> like a samurai oh, yeah, sword. Yeah. And he and he <laughs> scrapes the blood off of it on the on the side of the pool table. Yeah. I love all of his stuff about stalker and how it's it takes a lot of skill to play stalker and that nine ball is not nearly as hard as this video game that he yeah, plays. Yeah. Uh I think Master Antonio's great in it. I think John Turturro is great, and I wish John mm. Turturro was in it more. Yeah, um, my like one of my favorite things in the whole movie is where he, <laughs> it's where Paul Newman's trying to talk down his girlfriend, you know, because angry at him, and then mm. I just it just pans over really quickly to the window, and John Turturro's beating on the window. He says, "That guy sucks, Eddie, and so do you." <laughs> and, then he, yeah. and he leaves. Yeah. Amazing, <laughs> just great. incredible. I, I love yeah. that. There's a the man, <laughs> the Martin Scorsese camera movements in this movie are just sublime mm. yeah beautiful um and i don't you know i just want to want to mention him because he's great the the one forrest whitaker scene i thought was oh yeah, oh, yeah. awesome it's yeah. incredible he's yeah, great he was, i, yeah, I love the hustler uh, yeah I, mean, I love that he's that yeah that he turns out to be i love when he when he sort of reveals himself that he's like his his whole like nervous laughter thing that he's doing like ah. Oh, how could I make that shot? That's crazy. That's insane. <laughs> like that's that's just so good. It's and yeah. I love Paul Newman's reaction to it too. It's amazing. I mean, an mm. Oscar well earned for Paul Newman in this one. It's just uh, yeah, a terrific oh, film. Yeah. I never noticed uh, last time I watched it. I probably didn't even know who Iggy Pop was. So oh, Iggy yeah, Pop is right. in it for yeah. a second. 
I like that. Yeah. Just that he's in it. It's, it's fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I I don't know. It's just endlessly entertaining. Just so much fun. Mm. Great movie. Yeah. <laughs> Ratings? No, I'm just kidding. I gave it a four and a half, but I mean, yeah, a, me a heart too. also. I mean, I gave it a four. Like, the only th- the, the thing that I don't know about Master Antonio... I don't know how much I like her in this movie. Okay, see, I was on the fence about her when I used to watch the movie. She was mm. the thing that kind of drug it down for me a little bit yeah. back in the day. But now watching it, I don't know. I like I like the dynamic between her and Newman, how they're mm. how they both recognize that Tom Cruise is like their commodity, and they have to work together to make him right. as valuable as possible. That yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. And he's how he's explaining what her role ought to be. You know, you're supposed to be like his woman. You're supposed to keep him happy and all that stuff. And mm. I don't know. I really enjoyed all that stuff, and I thought she pulled it off. And I liked uh, some of the how she was playing head games with him with all the nudity and the yeah, partial, yeah. you know, the steamy shower shit like that. But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's a good looking woman. What are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. But yeah, great, great film. And, all, yeah. and also, to be one of, I mean, one of his, this is one of Scorsese's kind of like hired gun movies, right? I mean, this is like mm. Newman coming to him and saying, You're a great director. We want you to direct this movie. Mm. Uh, just like uh, Ellen Burstyn hired him for. Oh yeah, yeah. Alice doesn't live here anymore, and I mean. Yeah, and she got the Oscar for that, right? And so. it's, it's but it's just incredible to see how even in a pa- in a, a project that's not a passion of his necessarily, mm. just how much care goes into it. Like it's just an incredibly well made movie. Yeah, yeah. So mm. your list. Yeah. So let me let me pull it up here. Yeah. So. <laughs> Right, right at the very top is Last Temptation of Christ. That's fair. I don't have any problem with that. Yeah, because that one is just—it's just so—it's just, so, just so fucking good. And like, like I used to like the the soundtrack for it that Peter Gabriel released as a uh, Passion. Like that's that's one of my top favorite uh, Peter Gabriel albums. Like I was a big Peter Gabriel fan for a long time, and. The score still holds up. It's fucking beautiful. I bought the vinyl of that score, which mm. is incredibly rare. I had to buy an import from Argentina to get it. <laughs> when, when did you get it? Because I think they're re- releasing all this stuff on vinyl now. So. Oh, really? I bought yeah. it maybe six years ago. Okay. So it was been, it's been a little while. But uh, mm. at the time, I couldn't find it. Like any, You couldn't find like a, a U.S. pressed copy of it. Oh, even, okay. So yeah. I had to buy this import but it, it, it's good it's a good record it, it mm, uh yeah. i mean besides the fact that the music is good i'm saying like the record itself is uh in good shape and everything so great yeah and um let's see yeah hugo number two yeah because i just enjoyed i enjoyed hugo so much and like like as it as it started off i was like Oh, this this looks really good. Like I I think the you know the CGI looks very like you know like fantastical, but you know it's kind of supposed to. Like Scorsese's using it in a very very g- good way to like you know like it's supposed to be used as a tool for the movie. And then as it starts to go on, and you start um, like the performances from uh, Asa Butterfield and Chloe Grace Moretz and you know every everybody else who like makes a cameo in the movie or you know has has like a smaller role and then you start getting into like like you like the second half of it you pretty much get why 
Scorsese would make this movie in the first place because it's his chance to explore um, what's the guy's name? J.R. Millier. Yeah. And like the beginning and like yeah, George Melier and like the beginning of cinema and how movies are magic and like like you can tell like he just has like he's just putting so much love into this movie. And you know like that like what I texted you guys the other day about it's like I was looking at uh Scorsese's you know his list of movies and like I feel like a lot of people will think that he's like synonymous with like gangster movies, but honestly, I I think you can really count like three. I think it's only he's maybe synony- he's four synonymous with were... gangster films because he's mm. made like two incredibly popular gangster. Yeah, films, right? yeah, like, like Goodfellas and Casino, especially sure. Goodfellas. Is, and I mean, Mean Streets is uh is also extremely popular, but not nearly yeah. as much as those two. I mean, those are huge hits in the in the. In the wide uh, mm. audience, Mark, you know what I mean? Like, everybody knows yeah. about Goodfellas, you know? So yeah. But and even, The Departed like, is a gangster movie. I mean, yeah, that's Yeah, yeah. That's why I was saying three, because, like, when you really get right down to it, I don't know if you would count Mean Streets. I would count Mean Streets. I mean, if, I movie, mean, I mean movies that you're talking... I mean, uh, you, uh, to call them gangster pictures, I mean, mm. I don't know I don't know about that exactly, but it, movies dealing with uh, organized crime... Right. Mean Streets, even Raging Bull has an organized crime element in it. Yeah. Gangs of New York has that in it. Uh, mm. I haven't seen New York, New York. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> yeah, there's no okay, there's well, no gang stuff. In so New yeah, York, I mean, York, but, in uh, all of those films, uh, Who's That Knocking at My Door has an element of that in it, also. So yeah, I don't know if like, like I wouldn't call like, it a gangster movie, but I'm saying yeah. there. Yeah, because like with that and like Mean Streets, I would say that the you know gangster element is in there, but sure. like really, it's more about like two young men trying to find their way. But it's also about the fact that they're—I mean, their their prime characteristic is that they're Italians in, yeah, the, in yeah, New York, sure. right? And yeah. Harvey Keitel is connected in yeah, Mean Streets, yeah. like that's part of the story. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, but I yeah. agree. I agree. I wouldn't call. I mean, I think that's a short-sighted. That's like a. That's like mm. a populist view of him as a director. Yeah, that he's a sure. gangster movie director. I mean, yeah, his best films are not gangster movies. Yeah, exactly. Last Temptation of Christ. For me, mm. I mean, for and for, for all of us, actually, I mean, your your number four is Silence. Silence is high up there for me, and, and oh, for yeah. Jr. too, I think, and. uh also, uh, I mean, for me, I know you're t- you got Taxi Driver pretty low. I like, <laughs> I love Taxi Driver being my number two. I think, and uh, you know, not a gangster movie. So yeah, yeah, and yeah, it was like I was saying last time about Taxi Driver. Like I've just seen it so much that like it doesn't have the same impact for me that sure. it used to. So, so you know, that's why it's. That's I also why it's so think. Low. I also think you're bringing out the dead is comically low on this list. Like I <laughs> bring out the dead is so good. For me, it was it was for me it was a lot to get through. Like it was it was kind of tough. Bringing out the dead is like it's similar to uh, what we were just talking about, Color of Money mm. or Cape Fear, in that and just the fact that of how like for me just how like relentlessly entertaining it is. Like I'm never mm. I'm never bored for one one frame of the film. Right. Well, I think like like for me it was a weird thing where like you know I that that scene with. <laughs> With big raves, where they're like, you know, like he's like, please, Jesus, he exercises yeah. the drug dealer demon. Yeah, or <laughs> exactly. And like, you know, and Cage like slips in the thing that like brings him back, and like, hallelujah! I yeah. thought that was fantastic. I love the shit out of that scene. But then it starts going on and on and on and on and on, and it's like, 
Okay, okay, this is getting less less. I'm less enthusiastic about this now. That's fair. Yeah, he's my um, he's my least favorite of the three drivers. Uh, I like uh, I prefer I actually like Tom Sizemore the best. I like Tom Sizemore in this a lot. He's amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what else? What else? Uh, Kundun. Never. I've never seen Kundun. I haven't seen. There's five of these films on your list that I've not seen. Oh. I've never seen Hugo. I own it. I have it on Blu-ray. I've never watched it yet. Mm. I've never seen Kundun. I have it downloaded. I've not watched it. I have never seen Boxcar Bertha. I've never seen New York, New York. I've never seen Age of Innocence. But I have owned mm. the Blu-ray Criterion of Age of Innocence for over two years now. <laughs> Has it been that long since it was put out? I'm pretty sure. Okay. It's been a while. Um, but yeah, like um, when I watch Boxcar Bertha, like I, you know, it, obviously I wouldn't say it's, you know, as like... You know, not amazing as amazing as some of his other stuff, but like what you were talking about earlier, like the care that he puts in to these movies, like like it's very very entertaining, and like you know everybody is really pretty good in it. Um, yeah. There's no release date on their Criterion website for when this was released. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. Let's oh, see. Yeah. But yeah, I was I didn't I wasn't sure what to expect when I was rewatching Kundun. Um I'm gonna say it was released in March of twenty eighteen because there's multiple okay. articles on the Criterion website about it from March two thousand eighteen. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, like Kundun was one that kinda surprised me. Like like even though I gave it a four this time, if I watched it again I think it would go up. Like I I really liked I really liked the score and I thought it had like it's very similar to Last Temptation. Like, there's a lot of... It looks very similar as far as, like, the color palette and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, obviously it's dealing with more religious themes. Sure, um, it's one of his spiritual yeah. trilogy, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was... Roger Deakin shot it. Yeah, I was I was pleasantly surprised. Oh, Philip Glass did the music. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. But, yeah, um... Yeah, so I'll, I'll just go through. I won't go through the whole thing, but like, Wolf of Wall Street, f- fucking great. Silence, amazing. I really, really like period the masterpiece. Yeah, yeah. Shutter Island was another one where like I remembered being like kind of floored by it when I last saw it in like 2012. And even though it's not perfect for me, like just like the sh- the sheer like. The reactions that it was getting out of me, like just, just the horrifying things that go on in that movie, and I thought, I thought the ending was just like, I mean, it's ambiguous enough where it's like, well, is that really happening to him? But then there's the, there's Leo's last line in the movie where it's like, oh, and then it's like just even more heartbreaking. If you, I, want to, if you want to look at it that way. Yeah, it's been 10 years since I've seen it, so. Mm. But yeah, it, uh, yeah. Great, great movies. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. man. Terrific. Yeah. It's a good list. I don't, I don't concur 100%, but obviously we're each uh, different people. Yeah. And if I watch Hugo, maybe I'll think it is his second best film. I also, I'm a huge fan of The Aviator, so. I've always oh, been okay. a big aviator apologist. A lot of people don't seem to like that one as much. I don't know. If I watched it again, it might go up. But, like, at this point in time, it just didn't grab me. Sure. Okay. Um, 
I, uh, let's see. Sorry. Let me get back to my diary entries here. I watched Possessor, uh, the new Brandon Cronenberg film, mm. um, which I, s- I actually sent a copy of this to JR, but JR, it's got a watermark on it that is on it the entire film uh, on the bottom. And no, I, no problem. Okay. I well, can see right, see right through it. It's actually not even a watermark. It's literally just like text that somebody put on the thing. So it's not like if you can. Like, like screener? No, it does, I don't know, remember. I think it says property of whatever media group it's. But it's like not it's not see through well, like uh, a watermark is. It's like white text and it's just there the whole fucking time. It never goes away. So let's little, uh, little... keep talking about our illegal activities on this uh, <laughs> thing that we're gonna publish. I don't give a flying fuck about that. I downloaded Possessor, deal with it. Anyway, uh download it legally from iTunes. Anyways, uh <laughs> watch Possessor from Brandon Cronenberg and uh Never seen a Brandon Cronenberg film. I guess he made Antiviral back a few years ago. I downloaded that to watch it after I watched this because I liked Possessor a lot. Um, I found it... I don't know, man. It's it's hard to explain exactly what I like about this movie, but I guess just the sense of dread that it has that really, really works especially in combination with the I don't want to put this the wrong way this movie is very violent but it's not in any kind of a way that you've ever seen it's like concentrated on really weird moments in the violence like there's a stabbing in the first scene and it like there's a shot that's edited in very quickly of the person's sneakers like slipping in the blood while they're stabbing the person. I was just like, that's just such a weird choice, but I love it. (laughs) And, um, anyways, it's a movie about, uh, an organization that, uh, has developed a way to have their agents possess the bodies of other people so that they can commit murder for hire and that there's no, um, whatever blowback or evidence of them, mm. which, which actually falls apart really quickly if you think about it for more than five minutes, but they don't, they don't get into that. But I was thinking about it. Like the way they portray it in the film is like, they kidnap the person who they're going to possess and they put them in a van and then they drill into the top of their head and they implant some kind of device in their head. Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they implant some kind of device in their head and it's like the thing that's going to control them. And then they like, put them back in their house or wherever, you know, so they just wake up thinking nothing happened. And then the agent who's played by Andrew Riseboro, uh, who is awesome. I mean, I like her and everything, but she's really good in this too. She, uh, she puts on this weird helmet and like lays down in this room. That's kind of like a uh, Tarsum's the cell. If you guys remember the cell mm. and, um, she possesses them. And what's weird, what's, what doesn't make any sense about that is that if you think it out to its logical conclusion of, now I'm going to commit a murder as this person and then kill myself so that there's no uh, evidence or trail of evidence. Well, the person still, the person who shot themselves still has the thing in their head that you put there. So obviously when there's an autopsy, they're going to find that, <laughs> but they don't get into, they don't get into any of that. <laughs> and, uh, Not if they blow their head off. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. I guess that they're, that's what they're thinking. If you shoot yourself, you'll, it just yeah, disappears yeah, yeah. in the, in the, in the brain matter or whatever. Right, right. But the, um, the ongoing issue of the film is that uh, as she is possessing these people, she has trouble turning the gun on herself, which she's supposed to do at the end of it, at the end of every, every killing. And she she can't do it like it's like, 
I don't know if it's like a problem with her or a problem with the people. Like they're somehow resisting hmm. the idea of blowing right. themselves away. But uh, she ends up having to deal with that in a number of different ways. And then most of the film is about her possessing Christopher Abbott's body. And Christopher Abbott is really good in this. Uh, mm. Just plays it really well. The whole, he essentially is playing her, you know, but oh. in his body, you know, cause she's possessing him, but it's just, mm. he's, it's, it's, he's, he's quite good. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm not, I don't know. I just, it builds to a very kind of disturbing, violent conclusion. Mm. Um, Donald Sutherland's son is in this movie kind of weird actually he's got like a really weird sounding voice wait donald sutherland's son not Kiefer. the other another one i guess okay. uh yeah rossif <laughs> rossif sutherland sorry okay. yeah I, okay. I honestly when honestly until you said that i had forgotten Kiefer sutherland was donald sutherland's right. son. <laughs> yeah because so, i was worried like did he mean Kiefer sutherland's son <laughs> you know i mean i read that it was donald but it might be mm. it must be no it is donald sutherland's son because he was born in 78 oh okay yeah okay. son of actor donald sutherland and francine Rachetti or reset oh. brother of actor angus sutherland and half brother of Kiefer. Mm. Okay. so anyway he's been in some stuff he was in uh timeline and uh he's actually in that uh adam mcgoyan film the oh. guest of honor oh, okay so Anyways, I highly recommend Possessor if you have the stomach for it. Um, I mean, it was a it was a it was a great great watch. I really enjoyed it a lot. I'm, I look forward to watching Antiviral and anything else Brandon does. And honestly, it just like it's it fills you with a sense of melancholy about where uh, David Cronenberg's career is and uh. where it's been for many years and how he doesn't do anything that's close to this aggressive or controversial anymore. And uh, mm how he equates sex with controversy now. Anything that's sexual is in his movies. There's nothing violent or interesting about them or sci-fi or weird or genre. They're all just like these weird, you know, almost like he wants to be a prestige director or something, and he hasn't directed anything in like five fucking years, so I don't know what he's doing. (laughs) But Brandon's picked up the mantle. This is a good movie. Check Mm. it out. Cool. Possessor. JR? Well, I guess... I'll talk about what I mean. How how many more do you guys have? I'm done. I'm done. All right, cool. Then I'll just mention that I watched uh, Woody Allen's last movie that never got a release in uh, the U.S. A rainy day in New York, and j- just please don't watch this movie. Uh, <laughs> I have, a and that's coming from someone who's like a. I'm an I'm an apologist for several of Woody's movies from this century. You're a Woody. You're movies. a Woody Allen apologist. From this century. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. Um, he doesn't want to say that. I definitely don't like <laughs> that uh, title for sure. That makes it sound uh, a little different than liking his movies. Mm. Um, but yeah, <laughs> uh, Sh- the character Chalamet plays is just like it's definitely the worst Woody Allen uh, stand-in performance that I can remember. Uh, and I, I'm not saying it's all Chalamet's fault. It's just a it's just a poorly written, very generic uh, movie that has a message of like, don't do anything outside your comfort zone. That's <laughs> that's the message for the young ones. Wow. Um, <laughs> and uh, and like I I'm a big fan of uh, Elle Fanning, and she, like Alan makes her awful. It's it's a it's just a bummer. 
Um, but I also watched uh, Little Shop of Horrors for the first time, the Frank Oz musical hmm. from the mid-'80s. And uh, that's a blast. And I don't know why I've never seen that. Hmm. You, the music is great. Like, it is directed to look like a, you know, like a studio lot musical from the 50s. And it is spot on. And, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just really fun. Did you watch the original ending or the alternate ending? I watched both. I watched the original ending first. Uh, I watched it on HBO Max, and they have the full director's cut. I was told that uh, minus, you know, a couple of like very minor editing changes, uh, the ending's the only difference. So I did watch that ending right after I watched the original. Nice. Like the original ending more. I don't know. I forget what the difference is. Honestly, one of the, one of them is like the the thing becomes like a giant and starts stalking the city or something like that. Mm. So right? I mean, it the, basically like the world ends. Right. Like the. Uh, I've never seen the, the film, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. No, no, no. I've heard. I've I've listened to reviews of it on other podcasts. So it's not. It's really a, fun. So nice it's a nice little like. You know, ninety-five minute movie on uh, HBO Max. Hmm. Oh, I was going to say too. They added another uh, Straub Huey film on movie Sicily. Yeah, which that, I love. It's like sixty-five Sicily. minutes long. I'm going to check that one out for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Speaking of L. Fanning, have you guys watched The Great? No, haven't checked it out. That's on Hulu, right? No, yeah, yeah. It's a TV show. Isn't that like produced? It's a TV show. Isn't that produced by the people who did The Favorite? Yeah, it's or like one of the uh, producers of The Favorite or something. The 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 guy who wrote what. The guy who wrote the favorite is like the, sh- I, I guess he's the showrunner because Nicholas anyway. Holt is in it, right? Yeah, and um, like, yeah, it's very, it's very kind of similar to the to the favorite, uh, but it's it's a lot more comedic. So I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's. Uh... I mean, okay. I well, I just real quick. I just should say I watched I, just because I spent so much time on it. I watched all of Escape <laughs> of at Danamora, uh, which is the miniseries uh, from two years ago. Uh, I'm not going to talk that much about it, Jr. Relax, okay, bud. But uh, uh, suffice to say that uh, Paul Dano is the is the standout here. Great performance from mm. Paul Dano. Uh, I think Patricia Arquette got most of the. Mm. heralding here and then she she piled a little bit onto Panicio talking about how great he was but I really think Paul Dano is the best performance in the show mm. it's not a great show uh, I think Ben Stiller is a little out of his depth as mm. a dramatic director um, he he makes some really weird choices especially musically like there's so much uh, contemporary pop music in this show mm. I guess to show what year it is or something like it's set in 2015 so he's like playing all these top 40 hits from 20. It's just really strange. Okay. It's just a really strange way to mm. convey a period. And uh, especially when the period was is a, three years early. What earlier. was a top yeah. 40 hit in 2015? I don't know. Just like Rihanna shit or whatever. Like pop, like seriously, like bubblegum pop R&B kind of stuff. Like just mm. shit, shit that does not make any sense in a prison drama about an escape. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's just kind of weird. Uh but um, has some okay, has some fun moments and uh, some great. Uh, actually, has one great moment of dialogue that I that I uh, actually used as a lesson when I 
I was teaching this week, I <laughs> I brought it up to my kids, which was uh, there's a scene early on. That both the characters in it are artists. Like Benicio del Toro does watercolor paintings, and he like trades them for stuff in the prison. Mm. And uh, Paul Dano is like a budding. He wants to become an artist too, and he like sketches stuff. And in the beginning of the show, he sketched this picture of these puppies, and uh, he shows it to Benicio, and Benicio says, "Where's the light coming from?" And he looks at it, he goes, oh, man, I forgot about the shading, like the shadows. Like, I don't know. And he, and then he goes, you know what? But I kind of like it th- this way. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, might, I might leave it this way. And then Benicio tells me, he says, don't do that. He says, don't don't make a mistake and then pretend like you did it on purpose. And I was like, that's a, that's a really good line, man. That's yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I, yeah. I, that was my favorite part of the whole series, honestly. It was in the first fucking episode. So. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, uh, it's on Prime if you have seven hours to kill. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I just, I was doing nothing else, so I figured I'd watch it, but, uh, anyway, that's it. Let's get to Blueberry, mm. which is from 2004, directed by Jan Kunin, who directed, uh, some other movies. What other movies did he direct? Who fucking knows? <laughs> I can't see. Where's his name? There it is. He mm. directed, uh, Doberman. Oh, I've heard of that. Oh. He directed, uh, well, that's the only one I recognize here. Let's see. JR's probably seen half of these. 99 Franks, JR? Have you seen that? No, he hasn't seen No, that. I've seen none of them besides none but Blueberry. Oh, really? I feel like I've heard of Doberman. But uh, anyway, uh, it's a French film, French production. At the, apparently, at the time, it was the most expensive French production of all time. It was $40 million. Mm. And it's based on a French comic book called Blueberry originally uh drawn by jean gerard and uh i like how they point out loosely adapted yeah yeah right (laughs) i don't know i've never read blueberry i've read i think i read the first two or three pages of the first issue me Um, too yeah (laughs) archive.org no no no. i have it on i don't know i downloaded them on some site i have i have all of them on my uh, ipad okay but um I'm a huge Mobius fan, but he didn't write this. He didn't mm. write the the comics, so right. his writing is part of what I love about him. But anyways, um, yeah, this was my pick because I saw it on part of it on Prime. I'd seen it before when it came out on DVD years mm. ago and just remember it being really strange for being a Western and uh, wanted to revisit it thinking maybe it's, you know, maybe I missed it and it's amazing and I just didn't realize it. But I uh, saw part of it on Prime. It's in the wrong aspect ratio. So downloaded a really awful uh, copy of it <laughs> that is just grainy and l- very low quality. No subs. I watched about 80% of it with that copy. And then I went back and watched the scenes with no subs that on Prime so I could see what they were saying. And what they were saying added so much to my understanding of the film that I immediately just turned it on prime and watched the rest of it on prime. Mm. The aspect ratio be damned. Yeah. I was going to say, why didn't you fucking tell me that I did? I texted you guys that this morning, whenever he asked about the, uh, I was was at work this morning. Oh, well, I had downtime today at work, which is when I watched the film. I'm sorry, JR. Jesus. I'm sorry, JR. I'm gonna. Be, I'm gonna be okay. I thought you'd go and check Prime because I told you that Prime might have subs. Or I don't know. You might have watched it a second time, like you do with a lot of our deep dives. Yeah, really, you crazy nut bar. <laughs> I didn't watch. I didn't have any time to watch any movies. I know. Yeah, you're right. Continue. All right. So, what did uh, what did you guys think of 
Blueberry, a.k.a. Renegade. So a lot of people are searching for this. You might find it under Renegade. It's Renegade in the States. Yeah, it's Renegade on Prime. Can I start? Go ahead. Mm -hmm. If I want want to start. Go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) Um, I love the idea of uh, building a Western around um, the spiritual stuff and the ayahuasca specifically. And if you told me that the climactic face-off of a Western was going to be a uh, like a shaman ayahuasca duel instead <laughs> of a gunfight, I'd say that sounds fucking awesome. And uh, that's it. Well, would you say that? Well, I mean, what you're describing the film. So, are you saying you like this film? No, I hated this film. Uh, what was the issue? If, yeah, so if, if you told me that sure. that was going to happen, I'd say that's fucking awesome. And then, um, and then I didn't like the execution. I didn't like what happened. Um, I, in, I, I, again, it's not the idea of what happened, like with the kind of spirit world and how it's, you know, it's all like computer graphic effects. That doesn't bug me. Uh, but some of the way that like, the effects of these um, drug trips look like the way they're designed, I just think are, are hokey and like we're doing sort of this like snake theme, but then also like at a point near the end, some matrix style, like uh, like computer language scroll. It was, it was just a, uh, that seemed out of place. Um, but really the problem was just like um uh, this movie was not very, it wasn't written. At least the English stuff that I could understand was, was just, it was nothing there. It was a uh, silly dialogue that made it seem like they've seen a few Westerns from a long time ago and just kind of put that in a movie. And uh, yeah, that's it. I guess what I meant when I said that the subtitles added meaning for me, it was just, it's purely like plot. Like it was just like, I'm watching the film and he uh, goes to the shaman and he's they're talking in the Indian language and then shaman gives him the cup of ayahuasca and they, he drinks it and uh, has the first trip that he has, right? And I'm like, and I'm watching that originally with no subs. I'm just like, okay. I mean, I get that he's went there. These He knows these guys because he grew up with them and he's asking them to, or they gave him the cups so he's having a trip. But I was like, I don't understand why any of that's happening necessarily. And then when I go back and watch it with subs. He's like, he asks for it. He's like, I need to, uh, I forget what he, what is it? What does he say exactly? He says something like, um, has something to do with, with Wally, the villain. He's like, he's like, I need to know your, he's like, I need to know your, your ancient ways or whatever to be able to defeat him. And the guy's like, okay, I'll do it. And the girl doesn't want to give it to him cause he's not Indian. And there's a little bit of an argument there. And then, but he gives it to him anyway. And then. He has it, and then afterwards he's like, that scene, the scene that made me go back and start watching with the subtitles was uh, when he's sitting in the desert at night with the Indian, and he turns, and there's like that long shot that's like panning around him, and then he turns around to the like Indian. Like all the shots. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> he talks, he says to the Indian something in Indian, and I was like, I don't know what he's saying there. I don't know like what it would mean, and they're talking back and forth, and I went back, and he says, he says, I'm not afraid, and then the guy's like, uh... 
I forget what the guy. Oh, the guy says, "Really? Like, really? You're not afraid?" And then he's like, "He's like, no, I like I understand now, or something like that." You know, it's like all this like cosmic kind of uh, ideology and philosophy, like very, very kind of light surface philosophy kind of stuff. But Kevin, what do you think? I'm gonna be completely honest. Uh oh. I I was so out of it and tired when I watched this movie. I remember I remember parts of it. <laughs> but I, I I I cannot honestly give you a decent review of it. Gave such you give so much time and energy to my pick. Thanks, Kev. Thanks, Kev. Sorry, <laughs> I, didn't, no, I didn't. I, I didn't plan this it this way. I, it just it just you know the time got away from me and that's okay. Look, no problem. Yeah. You you I, had, I remember you had a trip during this drug trip of a movie. Yeah, did you have a trip? Let me tell you something. Take a little ayahuasca. Let me, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I'm, I'm here for something. When you're nodding off, you know, like you're really, yeah. like you're really in that, like you know, you're really in that space where you're blinking and you're falling asleep. Sure. And like you wake up and there's just stuff on the screen, <laughs> and and it's swirling around and there's snakes. Yeah. And for the life of me, if you would have told me like Vincent Cassell was was Blueberry in this movie, I would have been like, like. Last night when I was watching, I was like, "No, it's John Hawks." For oh, some reason, wow. for some reason, I was seeing John Hawks. He kind of—he's <laughs> scrawny. They're both scrawny. Yeah, or looking anyway. Yeah, is and is scrawny? He's not scrawny in reality, but like in the film, the way they have him dressed yeah, and stuff, yeah, he yeah. looks gaunt and scrawny. Yeah. Like I, he, I, he looked uh, bigger than everyone taller than everyone that's fair yeah. but i'm saying like even like just any scene where you see him and he's like walking around with that hat and he's got the beard he just looks like scrawny as fuck he looks gaunt he's like yeah. starving yeah that's that's why i was confusing him with john hawks yeah. like it's, you know um i i distinctly remember like uh hugh o'connor plays the young blueberry yeah or it was uh mike it? mike whatever his last name is his last name is blueberry but they don't ever, they, <laughs> don't, the- they don't ever say that in the film Okay, but it's last. I thought I read something like they changed the name for like at least the synopsis. Maybe. Uh, anyway. Um, oh, it's Mike Donovan is on the. Son- I don't know why they say that. They never yeah. say Donovan either in the film. I don't think. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, like I remember you know, the first scene where like he's in the room with the woman and Michael Madsen busts in, and then I remember I re- like I remember seeing people. <laughs> I remember, you know, like, uh, well, now, of course, I can't can't say his name. Who? Michael Madsen? Michael Madsen. Vincent Cassell. Jaiman Hanzu. Ernest Borgnine? Yeah, Borgnine. Eddie, Eddie Izzard. Jeffrey yeah, Lewis? Eddie, no, uh, Cole Meany. Oh, Cole oh. Meany. Oh, the one guy we For did For some reason. <laughs> he's in this movie. I don't, I don't know why. I... I Legitimately, don't know why he is the one who stands out. I read, like, I literally, I took a note when I when he first appeared, and I was like, "This guy has the all time worst fake beard I've ever seen in a movie." Like, it's Maybe that's it is why. horrible looking. But yeah, and yeah, Eddie Izzard. I don't remember Checky Cario. He's the uncle at the beginning. Okay, I remember Jeffrey Lewis and Juliet Lewis. Of course, well, Juliet Lewis is kind of yeah. big part of it. Yeah, yeah. I, um. But yeah. Oh, Jr. hates Juliet Lewis. Here it comes. No, 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 no. I don't. <laughs> Not where I was going. <laughs> but yeah. 
Uh, yeah. So I, I, I'm hanging my head in shame. That's okay, um, Kevin. This, this also makes sense because the way the the movie is shot, every, uh, every shot in every scene, mm-hmm. the camera is moving wildly. But then you'll have a quick cut to like a still close up that is very jarring, and it'll cut right back to that moving camera that just never slows down and kevin it is fucking exhausting <laughs> whole time well so, so just chill out so glad i picked this movie um i mean i enjoyed what i saw i uh okay well i'll say that um i'll say that i i didn't didn't dislike it as much as jr seems to have disliked it but I do completely uh, commiserate and understand your dislike of it. And I agree with all of your points so far. And you're right. Okay. And it's a, uh, it's charitable to call it a mess, but uh, I'd say it's just messy. It's very messy. The direction is not good, but the cinematography, even though it's hard to judge because the copy was so bad, but on, you can sort of see it better on, on the prime copy. It's the cinema. This, the, it's shot very well. Like it looks good. Well, like, especially the night stuff looks really I mean, good. That's 40, 40 million fucking dollars. Yeah, I know. I'm it's saying, I mean, that's cool. that. But, okay. Come on, man. <laughs> Avengers is a $150 million movie. It looks like shit. I mean, <laughs> hey, well, it's, What's forty million French euros in two thousand four? I don't it was, know. No, it's forty million in American money oh, okay. in two thousand four. I mean, that's according to Wikipedia, so I don't mm. know. But uh, anyway, uh, but yeah, I think it's uh, it suffers a lot from the fact that it's French and that they feel the need to cast a lot of French actors in it mm. who don't, and then they want they force them to have like American accents, which is weird, and like the whole Vincent Cassell thing. His accent is obviously totally bizarre because mm. Hugh Hugh O'Connor, young Blueberry, young Mike, yeah, ha- is a Cajun from Louisiana, yeah, and it's like okay, I buy sort that, of. that's fine, right? Yeah, but the, and it's like if he grows up in the West with that accent, maybe he loses part of it and gains part of this Western accent, but it's just like this bastardized Western Cajun accent that Cassell is trying to affect. Mm is embarrassing at points. It's just like weird sounding. And there's even parts of Hugh O'Connor's performance where he slips out of the French accent, which is weird because he is French, right? It's just like, well, yeah, like, cause like I was like, Oh, that's, that's uh King Louie from, uh, three oh, Musketeers. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He said, he says, my mama gave it to me. Like at one point, yeah. it's just like, so it's just such a yeah. weird, he's, he's, well, like, Truly it goes, bizarre. like it goes back and forth between English and French and from what you're telling me, Indian language. Yeah, there's an Indian so, language. Lots of Indian language. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that's my, mm. that's my, uh, my kind of wide right. take on it. Mm. I have lots of notes, though. Um, Eddie Izzard, I, I honestly, he's my favorite part of the whole thing. I, I think I would agree. He's uh, he's probably the most consistent and good performance in the movie. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I enjoyed most of everything he was doing. I really liked his accent, his, like, German accent that he put on. Mm. I thought it was very consistent uh, in, a, in a movie full of inconsistent accents. Um, I, I I had a different take about the editing. Like, you're, you're saying the editing was jarring. And I, I agree. The camera work is weird, uh, and it doesn't work with the editing style 
and the kind of floaty camera and the uh yeah the quick cuts but i felt like it kind of especially the floaty camera where it kind of lended itself to the hallucinatory visuals and the atmosphere that they were trying to create with that you know like like the idea of the eagle flying like everything's from the perspective of this eagle or from the perspective of the spirit world something like that maybe i mean that's kind of what i was reading into it okay Uh, that's i mean that could be a more charitable like reading of what like i remember there was just one thing that i thought was just like a fucking mistake uh (laughs) <laughs> like 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 mistake of direction yeah like uh the blueberry and uh, i think billy uh and borgnine billy billy played by the director sure. jan kunin yeah um they're like rushing up to a group who have surrounded something and like so the camera like we're fo- like it shows the group and we're going towards them and then we get a camera that like shows uh you know the reverse angle like where we're looking at the the sheriff and ranger walking toward them uh so that makes it seem like okay so the first shot is from the point of view of blueberry or that party as they're they're walking up or running up but then when we cut back to the angle again uh the camera's still moving forward but blueberry is just sub- like he's at the group already it is a uh, it just feels like a a point of view fuck up um but I didn't really consider that, you know, again, we might have, you know, a more spiritual entity who is, uh, I mean, our guiding here. Well, when you have, I mean, what you're describing doesn't sound like what I'm, what I'm uh, like, that could be explained away by what no. I'm talking about, but <laughs> that does sound like a mistake. Uh, you know, just like they use the wrong take in the second shot, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I I enjoyed. I mean, as far as the spiritual stuff goes, like I I liked the I liked the way the flashbacks were handled, like how when he sees uh, Michael Madsen in the jail cell and he sees her the girl's face superimposed on his face for a second. You didn't like that? No, I just said Wally. Oh yeah, Wally. Like, yeah, like uh, he he says his name in the uh, flashback. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I like that too. I like I like when he like he like transports him his his current self to the flashback, and he's like interacting with his younger self. All that stuff. I I liked all that. I liked the way that was handled. Um, and I and I honestly I found it interesting, and for some reason did not see it coming at all. The kind of trauma, the central trauma of the of the film that he, that he is the one who killed the prostitute and that he didn't, he was repressing that the entire time until the, until the, as you call it, the, the shamanistic kind of showdown thing that they have at the end, which I agree. That's, I mean, that's the thing that's kind of carrying the film for me in a way is that the idea is so, uh, original and interesting. And just the fact that there's a villain who, is not after anything except spiritual enlightenment, you know, like he wants to, he wants to get to the room with the ayahuasca so he can drink it and like become one with the spirit world or whatever. It's just like, it's so, it's such a weird idea for a, for a, a Western villain, for any villain, but for a Western he's, villain, especially. he's only, he's only really a villain because he's just such a, a fucking asshole. Yeah. Like <laughs> he, he really doesn't have to be going about, you know, acquiring this the way he's doing it. That's true. But yeah, I'm not, that's not a criticism. Um, you know, no, you're right though. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It's like he, 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 
it's almost like he's a villain by virtue of the fact that the movie needs a villain because it's a Western, mm-hmm. you know? And I mean, that's a note that I took was, was that it, it, the, the film tries too hard to hold on to genre elements. And I think that that's where it's, it's biggest failings are is that where it holds on to trying to be a Western, you know, having the, having the Cole meaning character, for instance, is useless. Oh. Like he doesn't need to be there and he's, uh, but but he has to be there because he's the deputy, you know. He's the classic. He's the deputy, and, the, and they have to have the classic movie villain played by the movie villain actor Michael Madsen, mm. you know. And it's just like it feels no, like, and they, yeah, yeah. It just feels like they they're holding have, they on to have those have things. Like the the useless saloon scenes are there just yes. for that reason, like you, you know when uh, Eddie Izzard comes in, like Woodhead has been killed, and Rob like I got cut right, on my right. face. Uh, Warning the town. Yeah. <laughs> Or Jamal Hanzu just <laughs> cannot make it through more than 10 minutes of a movie before he gets killed. Um, but, like, even the way, like, we almost have this, like, duel in the saloon. Uh, and then Juliet Lewis is like, a round of drinks on the house, a memory of Woodhead, and now the tension is gone and everyone forgot it happened. Right. It's, uh, yeah. That is, that is very, like, poorly written classic B-Western yeah, not, exactly. Not classic as good. No, right. Just happens. Classic it's one of the lazy. cliches, and mm. it's just like it feels like if you remove those kinds of things, those kinds of Western cliches from the film, it could still be set in the West. It can still have a, a town marshal as its central character, but it doesn't have to be this, you know, genre piece necessarily. I mean, it's obviously uh, uh, attempting at something greater than that, and it feels like they're scared to work past that because they're afraid that it won't be you know embraced by western fans which obviously it's not going to be anyways like no fan of westerns in the traditional sense is going to be like this is a good good western mm. <laughs> you know like it's it's not a good western it's a terrible by western standards it's you know it's not at all what i mean if they, if they had if like if it was what it purported to be and it was this like you know, kind of this a spiritual, like almost like an El Topo kind of thing. You know, mm. I would love it. Like if it was like an acid western, almost. You know, with these kinds of uh, these ideas of the the ayahuasca and the spiritual realm and all that stuff. I mean that that's right up my alley. But it's just the fact that they don't. It's just a matter of execution. It's a problem of execution. You know, mm. I think uh, Cassell looks great in the outfit. He's uh, he look. He reminds me of Peter Fonda in The Hired Hand. Oh. He's got the same like level of beard. And everything. Uh, oh, the Michael Madden yeah. wig is terrible, but he looks uh, good yeah. as a blonde. I like him as a blonde. <laughs> Interesting. The uh, yeah, I wish Vincent Cassell's look made me wish that this had been done in French. Mm. So like he wouldn't be saddled with the accent and the clunky dialogue. Yeah, Just, I, I think yeah, and maybe it's not that's not fair if I just, I wish they'd have been in French. So I wouldn't have noticed like the really awful line readings. Uh, cause you know, obviously that's a, an issue with, you know, judging acting when you don't understand the language. Um, but it does seem like it just could have, it just would maybe would have felt more natural. Yeah. I mean, that's true. I agree with that. And I mean, I, I would have had no issue if it had been in French. It, it probably, his performance obviously would have benefited from it. Um, but I mean, just speaking of the those cliches would still be there, you know. I mean, and even and even going back to like the beginning yeah. of the film when he's walking around constantly with like a bottle of liquor, you know, and drinking this, <laughs> you know, uh, taking the cork out with his teeth and drinking it and being sullen and you know, like this just this classic, you know, angry 
I don't know. One of the shots uh, towards the end of the film was of a rock formation, and the rock formation, uh, the same. It's really interesting because the rock formation was featured in another movie I watched called The Scalp Hunters, which is a Sidney Pollock film from the late '60s, and it has Ozzy Davis in it and Burt Lancaster. And I did not like it, but uh, but not because of Ozzy Davis. He was quite good in it. Burt Lancaster was not that great in it. Anyways, Telly Savalas is in it. He's pretty good. <laughs> but um, anyways, it has a shot at the exact same rock formation, like a whole scene where uh, Burt Lancaster is sniping at people from the rock formations. So I thought that was pretty fun to see. Like it's like forty years later, it's the same rock formation. They're still oh, shooting yeah. westerns at it. You know, <laughs> kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh. Oh yeah, I also I I mean I I I a little bit of an issue just with continuity or not continuity just like um believability. So when Juliet Lewis's group is attacked in the desert by Wally and they're left for dead and then it's it's revealed later that she was raped by one of the gang members and she's obviously been shot or stabbed or something cuz she's bleeding everywhere. It's like a scene later and you like uh, one of the shaman like blows smoke on her or something like that, but she's like completely healed in the next scene. <laughs> like I was like, I would have wanted to just, I wanted to see a little bit about why she got healed so quickly, you mm. know, rather than it just be off screen kind of. Right. That was a little annoying. Uh, Mike empties his boot. You remember this? Whenever he's, he's after he gets on swimming, he like does this move where he like sticks his, his foot up in the air and his boot empties water all over the place. This is when he gets yeah. into the cave. Oh, yeah. It was actually the exact same move that Iggy Pop made when he was shooting pool in Color of Money. Oh. He sticks his foot in the air. Interesting. So I thought I, thought, <laughs> I, thought, it, was a, I thought it was a nice piece of direction, like he empties the boot with yeah. water without taking it off. Kind of good. Mm. Uh, I like the idea that he, that he has to, in order to kill Wally, he has to do it on the spiritual plane. He can't do it with a gun in real life because the guy's like that. The guy says in the in the film, you didn't see this part, JR, because this is one of the subs. But he says, yes. he says, killing him this way won't solve anything. And he said, and then that's when he drinks the uh, the drink mm. and goes into the the other place. I also hate the one of the things I really hate about the film is Juliet Lewis's inexplicable just like falling in love with Mike at the in the last 5 minutes of the movie, mm. which doesn't seem to be uh foreshadowed or brought up at all before that. It's like all of a sudden she's like I love you. <laughs> and I always well, hate her, when her movies dad, do that, so. Her dad does ask, "You love him, don't you?" Uh Oh, does he? Early do in the movie. Oh, see, I don't know. Yeah, remember. in a it's a it's not a good scene because they're not <laughs> they're not like talking about their relationship. He's just it, it's kind of like after he's like you know it's it's in the saloon after the duel where he's like maybe you're not the right man for the job. I remember that. Uh and then I like Julia Lewis is basically just like stop it. Girl, don't <laughs> do that. She's and he's just like you love him, don't you? Like you got that just from like the don't try to start a gunfight in my bar? Hmm. I don't know. I was also going to add a, just a question. I mean, more of like a kind of in general, not to you guys specifically, but why did Wally die? Like what killed Wally? I don't know. Like what killed him physically? I mean, I know that, I mean, honestly, in, even during the, sh- the sh- shaman other world fight, they don't really touch each other or like there's no yeah. imagery that suggests that they fight at all. Mm. Really? The mind uh, makes so it I real. Was, yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, I guess... 
huh. But yeah, if you don't, if you didn't get an answer for that in the subtitles, then we're not going to get an answer for yeah, this. Yeah, no, there is nothing. I mean, there's literally no dialogue during that entire sequence, I don't mm. think. And uh, no? yeah, I mean, they don't, it's just like him constantly like fading in and out of the s- spiders and snakes and everything else. Mm. So um, that was a little bit, that was weak. But, uh, you know. What are you going to do? You know, you got to watch something for these things. Okay. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, I mean, I, I, I mean, you know, I'll, I, I'm going to give this movie a, I mean, uh, whatever. I'm giving it a three. I be, uh, for the sheer audacity of it. I think it's, you know what I mean? It's just like, there's no other Western that's like this. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah. And I don't no, appreciate the direction very much and other things about it, but I will say that it's incredibly original as far as Westerns go. This is, it's it's like a bummer. There needs to be a good Western with this kind of idea. I agree. I agree. It, Mm. it, it it bugs me that it doesn't exist. Um, but it doesn't exist to, to my knowledge. Yeah. Well, next time we'll watch Greaser's Palace. That's uh, another weirdo Western. And, oh. uh, <laughs> see how it holds up. Mm. I'm just kidding. I don't know that we're going to watch that. Are we, are we all doing ratings? You already did yours. I asked, I'm sorry. It's a three. Sorry. Uh, I'm going to, yeah, again, I, well, I respect the like ambitious idea. I, I just, I hated the execution so much. It's a one and a half for me. Ooh. And I feel I feel really bad, not about disliking the movie. I just feel really bad. I was like looking back at our list of episodes, and I'm I'm such a like fucking crank. I have not <laughs> I have not liked anyone's pick but my own yeah, since you're a dick. fucking Macbeth. And that's when Jonathan was still here. Jeez, wow. Not and I haven't hated them all, just like I don't know if I've like given anything more than a three point two five. I'm like, what's it's just something's wrong with me. You know, I so feel gonna, I gotta I gotta I be fe- more open minded. I feel like if I had, you know, it was between this and Appaloosa, and I feel like if I had chosen Appaloosa, you would have liked that. Well, you know, we'll I, never know. I think you. Well, we might. It might be my next pick. You never Ooh. know. I'm only doing westerns from now on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, anyway. what does your sleepy brain give it? I can't honestly give it a rating. Because I, I just don't remember enough about it. I respect that. I respect you yeah. abstaining. Uh, yeah, and I will I will get I will get my rating for it out faster than my one for Lord of Lord of Illusions. It's fair. Which, which I which I still need to find the director's cut. I will say that there was a uh, there was a uh, the scene toward at the very very end of the film. Uh, which I mentioned earlier where Julia Lewis is completely nude in the water and you see her vagina. Uh, I, I, for some reason I, I had no uh, memory of that. Well, <laughs> it's in like the last minute of the movie. Uh, okay. I, and I had conflated it in my mind, uh, having not seen this in 16 years, I'd conflated it in my mind with the, uh, ayahuasca vision quest scenes that had happened. Mm-hmm. And I would have told you, based on my memory that that la- just like the review on letterbox says uh that that guy wrote i can't remember his name it it felt like it was about 45 minutes long when i first watched this and i had it in my mind that her floating in water nude like that was part of it like that mm. that was part of his vision and right. that there were like the snakes and stuff were coming out of her and things like that i really have that i mean i could still see the image in my mind that i thought was but it's not at all in the movie. So it's really weird how your mind plays tricks on you. Yeah, I know. Like, I, 
Like, I legitimately, in my mind's eye, I do not see Vincent Cassell. I see John Hawks. <laughs> John Hawks. Honestly, it might have been a better idea to cast John Hawks. I mean, he could have pulled uh, as off. a as a Western character than a Frenchman. You know, yeah. Maybe. I, I do wonder. I wonder. So I, I don't know how much money this made. Oh, um, very little. Very but, little. But it, like seven million dollars right. or five billion. Is, I mean, I, I know. Well, is that just a, the American gross? I I don't Probably. know. It, I don't know. It's no on the uh, American. I just know what I saw just, on Wikipedia. It seems like this would have been made for foreign markets, and it's got yeah, um, made five point seven a massive million. European mm. star at its center. Sure. Mm. It just uh, yeah. It was uh, it was it got a favorable review in Variety apparently, mm. where it said that it compared it to El Topo and it compared the drug trip scenes to it said it was this generation's two thousand and one, which you know hmm. what are you gonna do? I should rewatch El Topo. El Topo is amazing. I love El Topo. That's another movie. <laughs> the first time I watched El Topo uh, was without subtitles, which uh, was confounding. That's but insane. Very That's insane. I, yeah. I I don't know if I could do that. Yeah, <laughs> I, it wasn't like on purpose. We just we had a uh, a VHS copy and we realized there mm. were no subtitles. Sure. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's gonna do it for our show this week. Um, next week is uh, Jr.'s pick, and Jr. has thought of a pick this entire episode. He's got it. He's mm-hmm. ready to go. Mm-hmm. What are we watching, Jr.? I look, all right. I narrowed it, so maybe <laughs> since I've been such a dick lately, you guys can uh, can help me choose it. So four options, all from the seventies. We can either do uh, Greek slowcore. Uh, Russian winter miserableism. Is that a word? I say that right? No. Miserableism. Um, yeah. You fucking uh, want to say? We can do. We can do American comedy or dark British drama. Depends on what they are. You're not going to tell us what they are. No, you have to choose which. They, I mean, because American comedy are... could be something that I do want to see. Mm. Like the first thing I thought of when you said American comedy was. Uh, <laughs> Was a new leaf for some reason the the, oh. all the uh, Walter Matthau That's movie from Elaine it's May. Not a new leaf. <laughs> ah. I don't know why. Um, I don't know either. Russian miserableism. Like Russian miserableism. Which one's the shortest one? <laughs> um, all of them are three out of the four are under two hours. None of them are like short. The shortest one's a hundred minutes. Uh. What the Greek the... slowcore is obviously the longest one. Right, Greek slowcore does slow that does not sound enticing right now. <laughs> uh, what was the British one again? British what? It's a dark British drama. Dark British drama. I mean, from the seventies. From the seventies, I'd, yeah. I'd be into that. I could do that. Okay, okay. You want to do dark British drama? Sure. All right. Okay. Then we are going to watch uh, Richard Fleischer's Ten Rillington Place, starring John Hurt. <laughs> oh my! I almost bought this movie blind. From the uh, Twilight Time when they were going out of business. Mm. Is this available anywhere? Is it on Prime or something? Yes, it is. Good. good. Okay, so next time for the show, we'll be watching Tin Rillington Place, uh, JR's Pick, and until then, please visit our website at filmyak.podient.co. Email us, filmyakpodcast at gmail.com. 
like us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast, Stitcher, or whatever the fuck app you use. And uh, until next time, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. See for me that her hair's hanging down It curls and falls all down her breast See for me that her hair's hanging down That's the way I remember her bed Okay. <laughs> this is I don't even know what episode this is. Hang on. <laughs> 72? No, 8 we're all 80 or close to oh, oh. yeah, 88. Oh, 88. 72. Look at this guy. <laughs> Sorry. You are the worst. I know. 72. <laughs> 88, man. <laughs> 72 was like a year and a half ago. Oh.